Welcome back, Coyotes fans, to episode 57 of the Chirpin' Yotes podcast, part of the Inside the Rink network. Uh, it's going to be a laugh, a lottery draft special, excuse me, uh, extravaganza. We're uh, going to have multiple guests with multiple parts. Uh, right now, we have Michael joining us. Uh, we have Matt. We got Haynes. We got Grandy. Uh, Mike, sir, how are you doing? Uh, not too bad. Uh, a little <laughs> bit disappointed about the Oilers-Vegas game right now, but... Uh... Edmonton just took a four nothing lead, but other than that, um, yeah, doing all just fine. That's good. And boys, how are we doing, Matt? Haynes? Doing good, doing good, Mike. I'm I'm not surprised you being real big in into Calgary. You know that whole Battle of Alberta thing. I can't imagine mm. you're too happy with the way the games have gone, right? Well, I mean, game three was fine. Uh, but, I, I mean, yeah, I mean, the swing in scores. They've yeah, it's they've weird. Been, it's yeah. It's been bizarre. I I can't get a pulse on this series at all, and I feel like it's it's. I mean, Edmonton gets very very. Uh, uh, people get very bullish on Edmonton every time they win. It's sort of like, oh, they're never going to lose again. Uh, and then Vegas comes back immediately after and makes it two to one. And you know, it's just it's it's really strange. Um, it's one of the weirder series I can remember. So, my hope is that Vegas takes Game Five, and we'll see from there. But yeah, hard to say. Hope so. I'm going high on the cats. I know they just lost tonight. I remember the <laughs> score, but I'm high on them still. I still believe. Yep. Yep. Grandy, how you doing, bud? Doing pretty good. Just uh looking forward to talking draft, talking lottery, and getting this show on the road. It's gonna be yeah. a big one. Yeah. It's after writing about this today, it's this is this is all on my mind still. That and lack of sleep. So Running, running off two things right now. Running off no sleep and running off a whole bunch of names I wrote about today in a, in a, in a draft article. So I'm ready to get rolling here. All right. Well, let's get it going, guys. Uh, Mike, reactions to Chicago winning the lottery? Well, you know, I was really disappointed about it. They were the one team that I really didn't want to win. I mean, being here in Calgary, obviously you didn't want to see a team in the Pacific get Bedard. And so... That rules out Anaheim. That rules out San Jose right away. Um, and, and, you know, I'm partial to Arizona, so I would have liked to see that too. But, um, yeah, Chicago is just really disappointing for pretty obvious off-ice reasons. But also for the on-ice reason, if they just won three Stanley Cups and they drafted first overall uh, 15 years ago. And, I mean, 15 years is a relatively long time, but not when you compare it to some of the other teams that were in the running. And so... You know, I was disappointed for a multitude of reasons. I just don't think that franchise should be rewarded. I don't think they should have a first-round pick this year at all. Um, but, you know, that's just the way she goes. you got to live with it. And, uh, you know, uh, I, I my, my concern with Chicago, and I'm not really concerned because I don't really want to see them succeed, but my concern if I was their GM would be, I feel like they're getting Bedard actually a little bit too early in their build. Um like they 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 just kind of started tearing it down last year, and they're at the point where they don't really have anybody else. And so, if Bedard ends up pushing them a little bit higher in the standings, and they feel the need to try and build up something around him too quickly, I can see it falling apart real fast in Chicago. Um, if they try to really jumpstart it before they're ready, I think you know I, I'm almost wondering if Chicago should even send Bedard back to Regina for another year or something because they really need to keep being bad if they want this whole project to work, I would say for another three, four years. Um, at, like, and, and so, you know, it's going to be interesting. Uh, I'm just 
disappointed that they were the team that got rewarded. So and, they oh. they ended up selling what five million dollars worth of season tickets yeah. within twenty four hours of actually winning the lottery there. And that. if if you send Bedard back to Regina, what what message are you sending to your fan base at that point? Is that something that you could actually see them potentially doing? No, not at all. That's what I would do. And but it's not it's not financially viable. I mean, the Blackhawks had so many empty seats this year. Um, it's they're never going to do it. I, that's why I think that they're in on a collision course with mediocrity. Um, and I think you know Edmonton. I compare it back to Edmonton because Edmonton McDavid was the last sort of generational prospect to come up who was being compared to McDavid and or compared to Bedard uh, leading up to this past draft lottery. And, and before that it was Crosby and, and with Edmonton, you know, they, they had had a lot of high picks before they got McDavid. McDavid was kind of the final piece, you know, going back to 2010 when they had drafted Taylor Hall first overall, and they had already had Jordan Eberle for two years before that. And then they drafted Nugent Hopkins the next year. And then they drafted Yakupov, who busted, but still he was there. And they had drafted Drysidel in 2014. And they drafted Darnell Nurse in 2013. And so they had all these pieces that were sort of part of their puzzle. And McDavid came in and they almost fumbled it, but they still, you know, they ended up sort of stumbling mass backwards into where they are now um, just because they had Drysidel, who turned into, you know, a 100 point player. And they had Nugent Hopkins. They already sort of had that nucleus. Um, that was able to support them even while their management was making these bad decisions that kept them out of the playoffs until a couple of years ago. Kept them out of the playoffs entirely. People forget that. With McDavid, they weren't a playoff team for like the first five years. Um, and then you get to you know Chicago, where you're looking at, and, and instead of Bedard being the last piece like it was with McDavid, he's their first piece. I mean, really, you look at who they've drafted, and they have Lucas Reichel, who's already sort of making an impact. But he's not established. They've got Kevin Korchinski, who they drafted seventh last year, who, to his credit, looks like a really good defense prospect. But again, very much a maybe and not at the same level as guys like Juracek and Nemitz. Um, and then, you know, Frank Nazar, who had a really tough first year after being drafted, um, after missing a lot of the season with injury. Chicago's really, like, doesn't have a lot of, doesn't have the, the wealth of prospects that you expect for a team that's in the basement. And that's just because their teardown was so dramatic and so quick where they got rid of Kirby Doc and they got rid of Debrinkit in such quick succession and their other pieces were older and they moved on from them before. And it's, you know, it's just this sort of cycle that they went through really, really quickly to the point where they burned it all to the ground and now they're building it up with Bedard first. That's, it's going to be tricky for them to maneuver while also remaining focused on the end goal. Because I think it's going to be really easy for them to be suckered into trying to build it up too quickly. And if they do that, I think they're going to be in trouble. So I'm glad you actually touched on some of their prospects. Um, my follow-up question to that was, there's been some writings that Chicago's pipeline is, you know, a top five pipeline. It's not something I agree with. I don't think they're, no. they're that deep. I was going to ask, you know, where, where do you see them ranked? You know, how, how much work do they have ahead of oh, them? Oh, I, I think they're in like the, the teens. I think they're maybe like the 12 to 15 range. Um, I, I don't see that. I mean, Bedard obviously catapults them higher, like substantially higher, but pre Bedard. Um, and I mean, they, they got picks this year. Like they've got a fair number of picks coming up here. Um, I think they've got two first rounders this year, although one of them is late for the next um, then, three years. Actually, I believe they yeah. got two first rounders in each yeah. draft. 
Yeah, they've got yeah, and they've got four seconds this year. So so they're you know they're gonna they're gonna add some real capital this year, and and that's that's good. They need to um, for them at least. I don't really again don't really want to see them do very well here, but um, you know I think the pieces that they already have in their system. I would say the only guy to me who's really trending to be a top of the lineup piece is Korchinski. Um, and beyond that, uh, you know, you can go down the list uh, looking at guys. Nolan Allen had an okay season with Seattle, but he's not really scoring at the rate that you would expect for a defenseman, especially not one who's overly big. I mean, he's he's big, but he's not excessively big uh, to have like an impact in the NHL, especially two years after being drafted. And they picked him in the first round. Uh, I mean, Lucas Reichel is a first rounder from a couple of years ago, and and he looked really good in spot duty this year. So I'm, I mean, I think Lucas Reichel can be a two three line center, or, or two three line winger rather. And then you go back before that, and you look at their first round picks before that. Kirby Doc is gone. Adam Boakfist is gone. Nick Bonet is gone. Henry Yoki Haru is gone. And then their top pick in 2016 was Alex DeBrinket, who is gone. They're really starting from scratch here. And they're for, you know what's funny is their last first round pick before Henry Yoki Haru was in 2014 when they picked Nick Schmaltz. So it kind of goes, you know, they, they don't have a first round pick. The the last, I mean, really, the only first round pick, if you go back to Reichel, before that, they don't have a single first round pick on their roster until you go back and find Taves, I think. Uh, and Taves is gone. Uh, he's going to be gone this summer. So um they're yeah they're they're really starting from scratch here in chicago i mean they had three first rounders last year sam renzel had a okay d plus one season but he was playing in the ushl and you would hope a guy who's in the first round is probably playing in ncaa at that point um so you know in the late rounders i mean i think landon slaggard has played on the world junior team but he had a regression this year at notre dame um in his third year after having a decent sophomore year uh, wyatt kaiser made the jump from minnesota duluth to the nhl this past year uh, after signing at the end of his um, uh, junior season, he looked okay. Isaac Phillips has played NHL games. Alec Vlasic has played NHL games. But, you know, there's really not any top of the lineup pieces that I see aside from Korchinski and maybe Frank Nazar. Like, Frank Nazar, when he was drafted, was sort of thought to be on a similar pedestal as Logan Cooley coming out of the national team development program. And he missed a lot of his freshman year at Michigan. Um, and he comes back and he's sort of down the lineup behind guys like Fantilli and behind, you know, Mackie Samuskevich and a bunch of other guys up front. And so he doesn't really get those top minutes. Um, so it's going to be up to him to come back next year and see what he can do. But yeah, Chicago's going to need to have a really big draft if they want to build something around Bedard here. So on the flip side of that, how are you feeling about Columbus? Do you feel bad for them or is this something that following the Coyotes? you've just kind of grown cold too. <laughs> well, I can't really feel bad for the team that signed Johnny Gaudreau away from Calgary. Um, but, you know, Columbus is a weird team because I think, you know, they're they're not afraid to make bold splashes at the draft. We saw when they drafted uh, Yegor Chinnikov in the first round and when they put, put, uh, took Pierre-Luc Dubois over uh, Pugliarvi in 2016. Um, and, you know, Columbus, uh, it's it's going to be weird to see what they do. They got a higher head coach this summer, um, and I think they'll want to have him in place probably before the draft. Um, but they've got two first rounders as well. They got one from uh, LA in the Jonas Corposalo trade. Um, and you know, Columbus is. I think Columbus has a way better prospect pool than Chicago does. 
And if they had won Bedard, I thought Columbus might have even been you know, on the cusp of making some noise next year, even if they brought up David Juracek. And, you know, David Juracek, I feel like is one of the most underrated prospects in hockey. I feel like people haven't really clued into how good of a D plus one season he had as an 18 going on 19 year old defenseman in the American League, where he was legitimately probably one of their, the top defensemen in the American Hockey League as an 18, 19 year old. Um, not dissimilar to Moritz Sider in Detroit after he was drafted going down to Grand Rapids. I think Juracek is a guy who maybe has the potential to be a top-pairing guy as soon as he steps into the NHL, which is something that Columbus needs, and Columbus is going to get Zach Wierenski back uh, next year after he missed pretty much all of this year with an injury. So, And Cole Sillinger is probably going to bounce back. And Columbus, yeah, yeah, like that's the thing with Columbus. Is they've made five first-round picks in the last two drafts. They're going to make two more in this draft. And, aside, you know, with, with Chicago, where I haven't loved all the picks they, they, they've made, like Nolan Allen and Sam Renzel, I think you can do way better than that at the spots that they drafted those guys. Columbus, their five first-round picks, I like all of them. Uh, you know, of those five, Sillinger might be the one who I'm the least high on. Um, and that's just because he had a, a rough D-plus two-year. But, you know, he was playing under a head coach who got fired and, and you know... You, there's always the potential to come back. And he had a really good rookie season. So, you know, David Juracek and Denton Matejchuk, the fact that they got both those defensemen six picks apart, I mean, you look at that. Columbus is actually kind of a model for Arizona. And I know it's a pretty good segue because 2022, Columbus has picks six and 12. And they picked David Juracek, who, like I said, is one of the best defense prospects in the world. And at 12, they get Denton Matejchuk out of Moose Jaw who had an outstanding draft year and had an even, you know, as strong D plus one year with Moose Jaw, point of game guy, you know, not, not the biggest defenseman ever, but looks to be really projectable. And then last year, uh, they draft Corson Kulemans, uh, a defenseman out of Brooks. Uh, and if you don't know, I'm here in Alberta. I work in the Ameri- or the Alberta Junior Hockey League and the Brooks Bandits are a fantastic uh ajhl program probably the best junior a pro, uh, program in in uh in in cal or in alberta definitely in canada uh maybe in north america they're the team that kale mccarr played for and corson Kulamans comes out of brooks and he goes to the university of wisconsin he has a pr- couple pretty good years there so columbus you know they've got a really interesting pool here um you know they they went they didn't draft a whole lot of guys in 2018 2019, 2020, who I'm really high on. The uh, you know, Liam Foodie isn't really looking like much. Chinnikov, eh, I'm kind of eh on. Uh, Kirill Marchenko had a really good uh, rookie year. He was one of those guys who was sort of overlooked in the Calder race because he didn't play as many games, but he was really good. And you know, Columbus is going to have all sorts of options at three. I mean, do they take Michkov? It's entirely possible they do. Um, do they take Leo Carlson, who you know could be in the next Elias Pettersson? It's possible. Um, they got a ton of options and I think they're going to be just fine. You know, Mike, it's actually kind of perfect there that, you know, you mentioned the six and 12 and, and, yeah. and 2022 for Columbus there. Cause you know, the coyotes, as we all know, hold the, the six and the 12th pick this upcoming draft. And, exactly. you know, there's a lot of names that kind of sit there at that six, six overall pick the coyotes could look at. I mean, we have guys like, Ryan Leonard, there, there's Zach Benson, you know, there's David Reinbacker. If the Kais do decide to go the defensive route there at six, instead of maybe holding off and weighing down the line, uh, you know, knowing some of these guys, doing some of the work on the scouting there. I mean, who who do you think sounds like a likely option if the Coyotes, 
you know, you're you're the GM, you're coming out there for the sixth pick. Who who do you think is the best option for Arizona at number at six overall? Well, what I always say when people ask me questions like this is never confuse me for a scout. You know, I, <laughs> I, I don't watch these guys enough. Um, I'm not the expert on this sort of thing. And Craig Morgan does similar things all the time. You know, he listens to the experts, but he's not necessarily the guy who watches all of the prospects all the time. But you know, you can there, it, you can get a decent sense of it at the top of the draft just by you know looking at you know highlights and also just about people out there. And, and I work at Daily Face Off, and my colleague Stephen Ellis has his mock draft up, and at six he's got Arizona taking Mitchkov, which is really interesting to me. Um, you know, I'm not sure if I see them having the stones to do it, but at the same time, Armstrong is the kind of GM who strikes me very much as being sort of an asset manager. And if you're trying to turn pick six into the biggest asset that you possibly can, you know, Michkov is a big asset, I think, potentially. And what he's doing in the KHL for, you know, being 17 years old is really impressive. And so, you know, do you hold on to that number six pick and you take him with the possibility that either he comes over to play for you or he says, I want to come over to the NHL, but I don't want to play for you, in which case you have a top Russian prospect who you can trade for a haul. Okay, so yeah. that's that's sort of two ways that it can play out. Or do you trade the pick and knowing that Michkov is going to be there and trading it to a team that really wants to take him right away that might have a better sense that they are able to bring him over? And the team that immediately stands out to me for pretty obvious reasons is Washington, uh, being two picks later at eight. And Washington, I think, is the team that would be probably the most enticing for Michkov um, for I think everybody knows why because Alex Ovechkin is there, and not only is ownership and management there uh, very experienced dealing with Russian players. I mean, they've had Ovechkin, they've had Orlov, they've had Kuznetsov, they even had Ilya Kovalchuk for a little bit. So you know, it's it's just a familiarity and 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 an ease of transition. If Michkov wants to come in and be mentored by Ovechkin, I mean, can you imagine what kind of storyline that is? And so, you know, I get the sense with Mishkov, he's, he's not necessarily a guy who's going to come over to play for all 32 teams if they draft him at six. But I think Washington is a team that makes a whole lot of sense for him. And, you know, the, the storylines, the narratives are obvious because, yeah, it's, you know, the, the, the best Russian player in NHL history passing the torch potentially to his, to his heir. You know, that makes a ton of sense, right? So, you know, if it matters... Like, if it comes down to trading down from six to eight, well, I think the Coyotes would probably be very comfortable with that, um, you know, knowing that they're going to have another crack at it two picks later, and they also have a pick at 12. You know, that's pure speculation on my part, but it's just something that, in my mind, if I was the GM, that would make a whole lot of sense to me. And I would suspect, you know, I think I, I, they go, they got to take a defenseman high here at some point. I think one of their two picks is going to be on a defenseman. And I don't get the, the yeah, impression that they'll take Ax, Axel Sandin Pelica because he's just not a big guy. And I don't think they want to do a redux on Victor Soderstrom. I'm not saying they want to give up on Victor Soderstrom or anything. I think he's a good player. Um, and I think he's going to be an NHL player. But, you know, all the reporting indicates that Bill likes his big defenseman. And David Reinbacher um, uh, checks a lot of boxes. I mean, he's playing pro hockey at age 18. Uh, he's in the Swiss League, which the Coyotes, I mean, obviously they got J.J. Moser out of the Swiss League two years ago. So it's not something they're averse to picking from. And, you know, he is, yeah, the comparables, I mean, Jacob Slavin, Brett Pesci, you know, pick your poison. If you can get an Adam Pellick out of that, I mean, he's just a very smooth and steady guy who can play physically, 
but can also put up points. And I think it's the package that the Coyotes really need. Um, he might not be a number one guy, but I could see him being a number two. And, you know, I think at, at six or if they trade down and go to eight, Reinbacher makes a whole lot of sense. Um, and, you know, Mitchkov, I mean, if they want to take that gamble, he makes sense too. You know, and if Will Smith is there, I think they'll think about him. Uh, Ryan Leonard is there. You know, I don't know if they're going to take a winger that high, but maybe. Um, I really think it's going to come down to a defenseman or a center, though. I mean, I guess it depends on what you think if Zach Benson's going to be a center or a winger in the in the NHL. Uh, obviously, him being Connor Geeky's teammate, he stands out to me there at six two. Um, but yeah, Reinbacher is the guy who I mean, he's risen like crazy. I mean, coming into this year, there was he he wasn't on the radar as first round pick really. And now he really is, and I think he'll be a top 10 pick. I mean, uh, two months ago, I was thinking of David Reinbacher beating a Calgary might be able to get at 16. And now he's a guy two months later who I'm thinking that Arizona might take it six, which that's, you know, and just gives you a sense of, and the consensus reflects that. The consensus, people in the in the draft sphere have this guy going really high. And there's a good reason for it because he's got all those projectable traits to his game. Uh, going down to 12, um, Stephen Ellis, again, my, my colleague has Gabe Perot from the national team development program, uh, going to Arizona at 12, but the other guys who he has in that ballpark are also really interesting. Colby Barlow, uh, from Owen Sound in the OHL is really intriguing to me. And I've seen him going, you know, in, to- in the top 10, some places, but also down, you know, in the twenties in other places. And, and it's, you know, he's a divisive player, um, but the goal scoring prowess is there. I mean, 46 goals in 59 games this year as an 18-year-old, a guy who turned 18 in February, so he's got a relatively late birthday. And, I mean, he's not a he's not a small guy. And, uh, you know, that's – I mean, he's a winger, but he is a really good scorer. Other guys, Andrew Crystal, he's a smaller guy, but he's got really, really good numbers with the Kelowna Rockets. Uh, Braden Yeager is kind of a, another, another divisive guy who can go either way. Uh, D- Delabor Dvorsky, um, <laughs> I'll never forget being at a Coyotes practice um, earlier this se- or last season and uh, being in the hallway waiting with Craig Morgan. And the Coyotes were in the middle of their big winning streak. And Craig Morgan said, is everybody here excited for them to draft Delabor Dvorsky in the first round with their top pick? And uh, now, you know, they, they lost it a bunch of games. And they went back up the stick. But I could totally see them taking Delabor Dvorsky at 12. Um, just him being a guy with some pretty good projectable traits and being a bigger guy, another guy who can play center and wing. So, you know, if it was up to me, you know, I think my top guys would maybe be Reinbacher at six, Reinbacher or Mitchkov at six, and Gabe Perot or Colby Barlow at 12. But, I mean, there's just so much more. I mean, we're going to see things moving around with various international tournaments coming up here. And also as the CHL season comes to an end um, with the Memorial Cup soon, and there's just going to be guys moving around all, all sorts of different ways. But yeah, Gabe Perot, I didn't really mention him as much here, but he was the leading scorer on that national development team. That was the team that Logan Cooley played for, that Frank Nazar played for, a whole bunch of guys last year. And Gabe Perot, 20, or, uh, 45 points in 23 games, uh, just ahead of a guy named Cole Iserman, who is projected to be one of the top picks in next year's draft, uh, who put up 44 points in 32 games. So Perot with one more point in nine fewer games than a guy who might go number one overall next year. That's pretty impressive. So, Mike, um, you mentioned Michkov, and, you know, there's always the will they, won't they come over. We saw that with Kaprizov in Minnesota. Yeah. Um, 
how long or can you can you confirm rights on Russian draft picks are indefinite? Um, is that correct? Because there's no agreement between the Russian Federation and the NHL. So teams actually own the rights until a player and I'm I'm just going off of what I read. I'm trying to make sure I understand it right. They own the yep. rights on the player until they reach the age of 27 where they could potentially become a UFA. Is that correct? Not for Russian players. So for Russian okay. players, I believe I believe it is completely indefinite. So there's no aid restriction on it whatsoever. So uh, you look at, you know, the best way to gauge this, I find it's kind of funny. You look at Cap Friendly's reserve list page and, you know, it sort of tracks all the guys who a team has the rights to and uh, how long they have those rights. So you look down the list and John Farinacci, who probably won't be signing with the Coyotes here, his rights expire on August 15th of this year. And you look at other guys like uh, Cooley, his rights are set to expire in 2026. Uh, Jeremy Langlois, who was the third round pick last year, who I think is going to get a contract, his rights expire next June. Uh, but then you look at a bunch of Russians, and the Coyotes have quite a few Russians here. And for Artem Duda, it's indefinite. For uh, Ilya Fedotov, who was their second round pick a couple of years ago, again, indefinite. Uh, but also, you look around, and there's a, it's, the, the list is cluttered with guys who were acquired ages ago and who have been playing out the string, who might not even be uh, active anymore. And the best example of this that I can think of is on the Flames page. Um, the Flames, uh, as you may not know, uh, they once had Mark Savard, who I believe was on the Coyotes' payroll briefly. Um, but, I mean, obviously, he was a very, very, very good center who won the Stanley Cup in Boston, but was concussed out of the league by Matt Cook. But back in the day, actually, he was never on the Coyotes' payroll, but he was on the Florida Panthers' payroll and the New Jersey Devils' payroll, and, but that was after he had been injured out of the league. But, um, but back in the day, the Flames made a really, really bad trade where they traded Mark Savard for a Russian prospect named Ruslan Zanulin, and who never came over and played an NHL game. It's, it's, it's regarded as one of the most lopsided trades in NHL history. But, and I don't know if he's still there, but up until at least very recently, if you went to the Calgary Flames reserve list on Cap Friendly, one of the players on there was 38-year-old Ruslan Zanulin because, you know, they still had the rights to him. They don't expire. And so I don't think he's still there anymore because I think he's retired and also he's 41 years old. But it's the sort of thing where if you're on there and you're a Russian, teams have the rights to you in perpetuity because there's just no agreement. So basically what it comes down to is there's no risk in drafting Mitchkov and four years later him hitting the market as a UFA and that pick being gone. At nope, that point, zero. he can either say... I'm not coming to the NHL if your team is the only option and they could trade his rights, but yeah. the Coyotes will not lose rights to Michkov if they draft him based on time. No, no. I, I You know what? I, I'm going to say this right up front. If there is something that I don't know about this, you know, maybe, maybe, I, I, but there is a 99% chance. Like, this is how I feel. Um, I have never, ever, 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 ever heard of a, of, of a, a Russian player's rights who is unsigned, an unsigned Russian player's rights elapsing on an, 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 an NHL team. It just doesn't happen. You know, those rights remain, and they will remain for as long as possible. Well, I definitely appreciate you clearing that one up. I, I do know I've seen that talked about on Twitter across multiple fan bases, actually. Now, now where... what can happen, what can happen is, you know, the player can re-sign in Russia. 
that sure. is also totally possible. And then you don't have access to that player. And that's, that has happened. I mean, there was uh, way back in the day, the Flames had a prospect named Rukin Rafikov, who they drafted in the seventh round. And he had some really good seasons over in the KHL. And I remember, you know, 2021, I think, um, the it came up that his contract in Russia was up. And so I looked at whether the Flames should, you know, bring him over. But then he signs a two or three year extension in Russia. And at that point, he's got to honor that contract. Because I think the NHL and the KHL have a standing agreement to that honor each other's yes. contracts. Yes, yeah. they, so, they do. So have that's, that where that, that's where that comes into play. But otherwise, you're good. I mean, I think, as far as I know, I mean, Rushan Rafikov is 27 years old now. But as far as I know, if you go onto the Calgary Flames uh, reserve list page on Cap Friendly, and it's one of the top pages there, yep, he's still right there. And at the very end, it says his rights are indefinite. All right. Well, I, I do appreciate you clearing that up. I know it's not just Coyotes fans no, that have questions sorry. about that. It's, and the, it's and fan bases thing. everywhere. At, sure. At the very bottom of their reserve list page, still there at age 41 is Bruce Lansden Newland. <laughs> He's still there. So anyway, yeah. All right. Good to know. Good to know. Yeah. Thank you, Mike. Of course. So, Mike, you had mentioned the possibility of a trade down between Washington Capitals. What do you think the possibility or what do you think trading down those two picks would net the Coyotes in return to make that well, worth it passing up a talent like Mishkov? Yeah, that's, you know, that's something I haven't really thought of that much. But I mean, I can look back at a couple of uh, previous drafts to see if I can find something here. But but when I think about it, I mean, Washington has some interesting assets. And, you know, it's just, I mean, this is obviously pure speculation. Um, you know, uh, uh, I mean, okay, you go back to 2021. This isn't really the same ballpark, but you're looking at uh, Detroit traded up to pick 15th, okay? And they picked Sebastian Cosa, and they had picked 23. And to move up those eight spots, uh, they traded pick 48 and pick 138. Now, I, if I'm looking at a trade in the top 10, I mean, that's going to go up. And I'm looking, I mean, you remember last year when Arizona traded up to take Connor Geeky. Um, that cost them picks 27, 34, and 45. Now, those are two second-round picks that were needed to move up 16 spots. So, you know, six to eight, I mean, I don't think it's going to cost you another first-round pick to do it. I could totally see it costing you maybe a second-round pick Costing, costing Washington, I should say, you know, a second round pick and maybe uh, a prospect of some repute. Uh, now, who that prospect is, I don't necessarily know. Again, this is completely hypothetical. Just, you know, it's just a, an idea that popped into my mind because it just makes, you know, so much sense that Washington would want to take Michkov because, you know, I think I think it would be super attractive for the team, for the player. And I think Ovechkin is going to remain with the Capitals after he retires. Like it just makes, you know, in some capacity and having the prospect of having Ovechkin and Michkov in the same organization over an extended period while you're trying to usher this kid into the NHL, it just makes so much sense to me. And so, you know, uh, they've drafted some guys who I could totally see them passing, uh, giving up in a potential trade. I mean, I don't think they're going to give up a guy like, uh, like uh, Hendricks Lapierre, who was a uh, first round pick of theirs a couple of years ago, or Connor McMichael. Although, I mean, they are getting up there and they haven't really cracked the NHL on a full-time basis yet. So, you know, maybe they do make, move a guy like Connor McMichael. or uh, But but Hendricks Lapierre, I don't think they do just yet. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's 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 hard to say. Maybe Vincent Iorio, who they drafted in the second round a couple of years ago, who's a big 
right shot defenseman um, who's a second round pick. I don't think they move on from Ivan Moroshnichenko, who they picked in the first round last year. Um, and the Capitals, as for the draft assets that they have, obviously they sold at the deadline this year. Um, and uh, they uh, they have two first round picks, or pardon me, they, uh, they only have one first round pick, but they do have three uh, 2025 second round picks. So I could see them maybe moving on from one of those uh, in a deal to move up. Obviously, Bill Armstrong hasn't been shy about taking on draft picks from a couple of years into the future. And he's, they've also got three 2024 third round picks. So just a couple things to look at. Um, but yeah, two, two draft slots uh, in the top 10. I think you're probably looking at a high second round pick to get that done and probably a prospect on top of that. But that's purely a guessing game for me. I, I legitimately, obviously, I have no idea. So let me ask you this. Uh, with our picking 6 and 12, I know it's not ideal, but would you say we're starting to see no more actively actually trying to tank? Is this kind of we're starting to have a young team that kind of just loses and learns? Or are we doing a tank probably for one more year, would you say? Well, yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, I think both things can be true. Um, I think, uh, I don't think they're going to promote everybody. Like, I don't think Connor Geeky is going to be in the NHL next year. I think Dylan Gunther will be. I know Craig Morgan and I actually disagree on this. I think uh, there's a there's a school of thought that if Logan Cooley signs, uh, he and Gunther should tear up Tucson next year. I disagree. I think Dylan Gunther has shown that he's ready. I think uh, he should get an extended look again in the NHL and maybe even play 82 games. Um, and but, but to that point, I don't think they have the talent just yet to be that good, uh, primarily because I don't think they have the centers. Um, and that's not a slight against anybody that they have. I mean, I think Barrett Hayden, excuse me, is an outstanding player. I think Jack McBain turned me from a doubter to a believer over the course of the season. I was a huge doubter on Jack McBain at the start of the year, and now I really see something there. I see a really good player there. Um, but, you know, I think the centers don't aren't, aren't going to allow them to take a step, and I don't think the defensemen are going to allow them to take a step, which is why I'm so adamant that at 6-12, and 12, they've probably got to take a center and a defenseman. Um, and I think Reinbacher is their best bet to get a good defenseman, and I think as for a center, I mean, you know, it really depends. I mean, maybe, you know, talking about trading picks, maybe you trade up from 12 to 10 or 12 to 8 to get somebody. I don't know. Um, but, you know, I, I don't think they have the talent just yet. I think, and, you know, I, I don't think that is necessarily something that they can't change if at some point they decide they're ready to start accelerating things. But I don't think there's really any rush. Um, you know, it's not like they have to put a team, a really good team out there or else the arena will fail or something because that's completely independent of that. If, if it goes through in six days, then doesn't really matter what they do next year. They're going to be here for the, they're in Arizona for the long haul. So all that matters is them continuing to stick to their vision. Now, at the same time, I don't think you can afford to play necessarily a huge waiting game here with Clayton Keller. I think you need to eventually start to build up around him and try and populate the team with players who are going to help you compete at some point reasonably soon. Um, and if Logan Cooley signs, then I think, if Logan Cooley signs, I think he's an NHL player next year. I don't think you're going to keep him out of the NHL. And I think both Cooley and Gunther probably would be in the NHL. Um, but those two alone, I don't think are enough to accelerate things. And nor should they accelerate things to the point where the Coyotes aren't at least picking top 10. Because, and you know, I don't, I can't say I know a lick of the 2024 draft other than Macklin Celebrini, who plays for the Chicago Steel. And he's probably going to go number one. Um, aside from that, I don't really know that much just yet. 
Um, but I think, you know, you're not going to, you're, you're, you're just furthering your odds of getting somebody worth, uh, worth, a uh, a penny. Uh, if you pick lower, if you go to mediocrity and I just don't see the, the assets there for the coyotes, especially not if they trade Nick Schmaltz at the draft, which I think is very possible. Um, so yeah, I don't think they're ready just yet, but maybe, maybe in 2024, 25, we'll see a, a step forward to the point where maybe they don't make the playoffs, but I think they're going to sniff around. So it's interesting. You just mentioned Nick Schmaltz. Um, this has been a debate between Grandy and I for, well, going back to the trade deadline, honestly, uh, we actually had probably a 45 minute argument on the podcast about (laughs) what each of us thinks should happen. Um, going back to, you mentioning like a 30 minute debate last night. Yes. Yes. (laughs) After, after, uh, quite a bit of discussion we finally agreed to disagree for probably the fifth time um you mentioned columbus having picked five times in the last couple years they have two more picks this year one of them being three the other one being number 23 as of right now that they got from la in the gavrikov trade um if the coyotes do look at moving nick schmaltz at the deadline or i'm sorry at the draft uh, that number 23 pick looks to me like the most likely one that somebody would spend on a player that might kind of accelerate their rebuild, especially if you consider Line A, Goudreau, uh, Wierenski coming back healthy, maybe Juracek jumping into the league, Marchenko kind of surprising a lot of people with how well he played this year. Do you see anybody being a better option? Uh, as far as a trade partner for Nick Schmaltz? And do you see Columbus potentially being a good trade partner? Um, or do you believe he's going to be on the roster next year? Yeah, I mean, if you don't trade him now, I don't think you do. Um, because this is the time that makes a whole lot of sense. And it really m- comes down to if uh, Alex Morello is going to put his money where his mouth is. Because uh, you got the money coming up here for Nick Schmaltz and it gets big. And, uh, you know, they, they backloaded that deal, shaking him when he signed it. And so it's just a matter of, are you willing to pay Schmaltz? I think it's 7.5, 8 and 8.5 for three years here. And, and, and obviously his no trade clause kicks in too. So the fact is after July 1st, you go from shopping Nick Schmaltz to 31 teams, and that's going to get you a darn good, uh, good response, regardless of what teams think about his injury history and what have you, you're going to go from trading with, um, 31 different teams to 21 different teams. And that's going to, that's going to cut the value a little bit here. So, because he, 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 his 10 team, no trade list kicks in on July 1st, 2023. And the, the money goes up considerably. So, you know, uh, as, as to your point about Columbus, um, yeah, it's interesting to me too. Uh, I hadn't really thought about Columbus as a team in that position, but you know, now, now that you mentioned it, it makes a decent amount of sense. They're going to get Al- Alexandra Texier back next year as well. Um, he missed all of last year with uh, personal issues. And so, you know, they, they have some interesting pieces there. And I think, uh, you know, maybe you're looking at getting a guy like Jack Roslevic back to sort of equalize maybe the cap hits and a deal like that um, in addition to a pick or whatever. Um, but yeah, yeah, it's, it's interesting to me. Another team that I can see that you didn't mention is St. Louis. Because uh, St. Louis has pick 25. And they have pick 30. Um, and St. Louis, you know, they got some money they can shed pretty easily. Contracts that Arizona could pretty 
capably take back, whether it is uh, Robert Bortuzzo, who, or pardon me, not Robert Bortuzzo, Marco Scandella, uh, whose contract has one year remaining at 3.275. Um, Nick Letty is a little bit too unwieldy. His deal is a little bit too long. Uh, but maybe Kasperi Kapnan, who is under contract for next year at 3.2. You know, those are a couple interesting ones. And, you know, obviously St. Louis has some really good pieces in place. They sold a couple of their pending UFAs at the deadline. But I think they're also in a position where they can afford to sort of reload here. Uh, and Schmaltz makes a lot of sense. I mean, I get you maybe you don't want to trade them inside the division. But I don't think the Coyotes are really at the point yet where they can really worry about that. I mean, they traded Darcy Kemper to Colorado. It's, a, it's you know, who really cares at this point? You're trying to lose. And if you trade a, a good player to a team in your division, that means that you're going to lose to them more. So that's kind of what you want, right, at this point. Um, so, you know, St. Louis, Columbus, those two make a lot of sense to me. Um, now, as for whether you should trade Schmaltz at all, you talk about having arguments about this. I have an argument with myself about this. Like, I have no idea if they really should because I there, – there's, there's two points that I see here. You know, you got Nick Schmaltz under contract for three more years. And it would be a lot different if his no-trade clause was more restrictive. As it stands, it's not that restrictive. Uh, having 10-team no-trade list, that takes away some teams. It's not going to take all the teams. And if you can sell Nick Schmaltz on maybe going to a team that's on his, that's on his list, then you, know, you can maybe get around that to a certain extent. But also, it comes down to, is Alex Morello willing to pay a player? Two million more than what his cap hit is, and that's going to be sizable. And I, does he have signing bonuses coming up in that deal too? Because I don't quite remember. But I mean, that's just going to be another aspect of that equation too. So, um, at the other side of it, I mean, Keller and Schmaltz—they bring people into the building. Um, they're a good duo. They're a really good duo, and I think it sends a pretty interesting message after that sort of season where you already have plenty of draft capital and you have plenty of. Uh, interesting young prospects already to move a guy like Nick Schmaltz for another late first. I mean, that's that's something that, you know, I think there really has to be a considerable discussion about because, you know, he's not 32. He's 27. You know, you got three years of team control left on him. I don't necessarily think he's a guy you re-sign as a UFA, but I also think, you know, you're probably looking at a late first today. And if you hold on to him until the trade deadline in 2026, when you might be going for a playoff spot, if you're not in the, in the race at that point, you can probably trade him for a late first then too. Um, so it's just a matter of, do you keep that guy for two and a half more years? And maybe for three more years, if you're in the playoff spot in 2026, maybe you keep him as your own rental. You know, it's, it's just an interesting value uh, equation. I think it's one of the most interesting ones that they've had. Because when you look at the guys that they've sold already, they sell Jacob Chikrin because he wants out. Okay, simple as that. They sell Christian Dvorak because they know that Montreal is in a low leverage position. They badly think they need a center at least after losing uh, the guys that they had, Deno and whatever. And so they managed to sell high on Dvorak. And from all indications, they've won that trade thoroughly since. Uh, they trade Connor Garland to get back into the top 10 of the draft after they uh, get fined a pick for Jacob's whatever. Uh, they, they, you know, they've made reasonable bets with trading guys. And I think they've done pretty well with all of them, you know, selling high on guys, Darcy Kemper, Derek Stepan. I mean, you go back down the list and they've done really well. This is one where I think there's a chance you can bite them. Um, so I think you go back and forth and I think, you know, you get, you gotta get a really good deal to move it. 
you don't want, and I would be very disappointed if it comes out, they took a, a less than satisfactory deal purely because Alex Morello did not want to pay Nick Schmaltz $7.5 million, $8 million, $8.5. When that's the contract, quite frankly, that he agreed to. Uh, you know, I mean, uh, I don't I, Well, it might have been Andrew Bear. Uh, that contract was signed on March 30th, 2019. I think Alex Morello took over in April 2019. I don't even know. But, you know, at the same time, you, you want to honor that contract, right? Yeah, he took over in August. But nevertheless, you got to honor that contract, right? I mean, it would be disappointing to me to see them trade a deal, trade a guy who's making a very re- reasonable cap hit purely because his salary is too high. You know, if they want to trade him because of the no trade clause kicking in or whatever, but for the salary, that would be disappointing to me. And so I would want to see them taking a really good deal to justify it. And if they trade them for a subpar deal, that would speak volumes to me that they were really more concerned about the money. Yeah, I, I get all of that. And I, I do agree with you there. I think everybody would be disappointed if the trade was solely for actual monetary reasons, especially when it came out earlier this year that the Coyotes spent like what 38 million or 44 million or, or something ridiculously low in actual salary. Oh yeah. Um, you know, they, they didn't actually spend what it took to get to the floor. Um, granted, you know, they're trying to spend $2.1 billion on an entertainment district and stadium. And I'm sure that influences it considerably. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I think everybody probably agrees with you there. If you're going to trade Schmaltz, you have to get the right, pieces back um one last question before we let you go uh Mm -hmm. pick number 38 um Mm. the coyotes have taken some swings in the last couple years uh boomer bust type picks in the second round um is there somebody you see as being that boom type pick that either maybe fell uh maybe a cameron allen type who may even slip far beyond that um that just might be a boom type pick that the coyotes might look at at 38. Yeah. Cam Allen is a very interesting one. I watched him at the Holinka uh, Gretzky cup uh, back in uh, August of 2022. And I thought he was one of Canada's better defensemen in that tournament. And he had a really, really rough uh, D plus one or draft year rather, um, you know, re- regressing offensively for Guelph um in the ohl and he's not a big guy so it's you know alarm bells kind of going off and there are people who i know who think you know cam allen maybe even falls to the third round uh he's you know he's a guy who there are a lot of red flags around because he's not that big and he's also not that productive so the talent is undeniably there i mean he was able to score at a really impressive rate uh in 2022 or 2021-22 as a 16 17 year old in the ohl that's not hard or that's not easy to do um excuse me um as for you know other guys around that uh, that range um guy who kind of stood out to me uh at the holinka cup last year was denver barkey uh who you know is is a really small forward uh but i think he could really pop a guy who plays for the london knights really good program in the ohl and who really took a big step forward this year in his draft year um and also has just an excellent name um, a guy who I think could maybe go in the 30s is a defenseman named Lucas Dragasevich. Um, he plays for the Tri-City Americans, and his numbers are outstanding. He's a very big defenseman. Now, I, you know, I don't watch this kid very often because you know, I don't really watch a whole lot of the WHL. 
There are people who think Dragosevich should go in the teens. There are people who think he should go sort of down in the 40 to 50 range. Uh, he's a big guy. My buddies uh, in the scouting realm don't love his defense. Um, and, you know, if you can score, I'm more willing to give you a chance. I mean, Calgary, the Flames here drafted a guy in the third round a couple of years ago who, uh, by all accounts, a very similar type of player named Jeremy Poirier, uh, defenseman, you know, not the biggest guy in the world. Dragosevich's got a couple inches on him, but very productive in the queue. The knock on him was that he couldn't really defend. But he comes into the AHL this year, and while he still can't really defend, he scores like 50 points as a rookie as a defenseman in the American League. And, you know, you sort of start to think, well, maybe this guy can just outscore his problems in the NHL and if he gets there. And so, and, and in 38, that's, that's a spot where I'd be more than willing to sort of take that, you know, take that uh, guess and take that jump on, take that leap on a guy uh, who might be able to, uh, to, to sort of translate that offense to the next level. So now again, I'll say this, I'm not, I'm not a a scout or anything, um, but those are just a couple of guys. I do think they'll probably look pretty hard at taking a defenseman at 38, just because I still don't love their defensive pipeline. I mean, obviously with Moser and Valimaki in the NHL, they've got a couple of good young guys there. Um, but I'm still not convinced on really any of their defense prospects at all. Um, you know, Soderstrom I like, uh, but Maverick Lemmer, I haven't seen enough yet. Um, Duda, I have no idea. Complete, you know, absolutely nothing in my brain. I have no idea on Duda. And the Duda rest, had, I mean... Duda had a decent season before he got hurt. Yeah. Um, injuries um, really, really plagued him this year. I think my favorite defenseman in their pipeline right now might be Jeremy Lengua, uh, who... Funny enough, I, whenever I look up Jeremy Langlois uh, on Elite Prospects, the first guy who comes up is an entirely different guy named Jeremy Langlois, who was actually Travis Boyd's teammate in the American Hockey League, um, and also Nick Schmaltz's teammate in the American Hockey League. He was a forward, uh, and he is from Tempe, Arizona, <laughs> um, and he's 32 years old, but he's a completely different guy. But uh, Jeremy Langlois, the Coyotes picked in the third round last year, and I think he is really projectable, and I think he should get an entry-level contract. Uh, after that, their defense, I mean, I don't know. I will believe it when I see it on Maverick Lemero. I will believe it when I see it, because all indications, I again, I have friends who are scouts. I'm not a scout. My friends don't love him. Um, he, he didn't produce very much. I mean, obviously, he has the size, and I think he has. he's the kind of defenseman who has really good games and really bad games. Um, and yeah, I will believe it when I see it, but I think that's an area where they have to go really hard on this year. And if they can get both Reinbacher and Dragosevich, like if Dragosevich can fall to them at 38, that's one of those names where every year on draft day, I kind of like watch the NHL network and I see the names tick down the board and every now and then I'm like, Ooh, I know that name. And when Dragosevich goes, that'll be one of them where I'm like, Ooh, that's one that I'm really going to follow. And if it's Arizona, I think that'll be a really good pick. I'm just not con- totally convinced he gets past like 25. But if he falls, and I could totally see him falling out of concerns about his defense, he has the size where I think Armstrong will maybe be willing, and Plandowski and Jankowski will be willing to overlook his shortcomings. As always, some great, great info from Mike Gould. Uh, pleasure to have you on again. Yeah, um, thank yeah. you. Uh, it's it's been a lot of fun, a ton of fun. Yeah, always. Oh, I, I love it. Yeah, anything, any any time. You throw the questions at me, I'll answer them. Love it. Well, we'll definitely have to have you back on after the draft. Um, talk about yeah, sure. who the Coyotes yep. pick and 
and what the pipeline looks like and, and your thoughts going forward into next season. Yeah. I'm just like, I'm still looking at this first round. Like I didn't even mention Edward Scala who they could pick at 12. I mean, I didn't, there's like, there's a few guys like Nate Danielson. I know guys who really like him, Braden Yeager, you know, there's just so many interesting guys. This, this is such a great draft year. And I think the Coyotes picked a really good year. I mean, people, people said that they, you know, didn't get good value for Chikrin by only getting a number 12 pick. And, you know, I think there's so much they can do there to get really good value out of this. So it's going to be, yeah, a lot of fun to watch over the next six weeks as we head up to the draft, see how things play out. And, uh, yeah, just stay tuned because it's going to be a lot of fun. So you, you mentioned the value at 12. If this was any yeah. other draft year that we've seen in the last five years, what does that number 12 equate to going back in two or three years ago? Well, I mean, you know, you're is that a top year. 10 pick? You know, oh, yeah, are, are you... yeah, yeah, I think so. I think, I think you look at a guy like, um, you know, uh, Colby Barlow, who is probably going to fall, you know, I think in a 12 16 range. And I think Colby Barlow comfortably goes sort of seven, eight, uh, in a lot of years here. Um, you know, I mean, obviously at the very top, you're looking at guys, you know, there are probably three guys there who would go number one in other years, maybe four guys. Um, but even like a guy like, well, I don't know, Andrew Crystal might be on the verge of being a top 10 pick. Although I don't know, cause Andrew Crystal's so small, but like, uh, there are so many guys here where in other years I'm looking at it and like Callum Ritchie even, I mean, cause he's just so pugnacious. I could totally see a team at 10 being like, yeah, we're going to take you even though this year I think he's going to go like 20. So, yeah, it's it's one hell of a draft year, and the Coyotes getting pick 12 from Ottawa. I mean, Ottawa, that's one thing people don't mention. Ottawa doesn't pick until the fourth round this year. That is nuts. And they have they didn't pick in the first round last year either. Like, that is, what are you doing, Ottawa? But anyway. And didn't they totally, like, screw up by picking, yes. like, Tyler they, Bouchard or something the year before they that? They drafted Tyler Boucher in the first round Boucher. two years ago. There you go. Yeah, they, they yeah, Ottawa... People put Ottawa on such a pedestal here, and I don't buy it, but that's a conversation for another day. After the draft. Perfect. Yes. Time. Yep. Certainly. Definitely down for that. Well, thank you again, sir. Really do appreciate you coming on here. Love Anytime. it. Yep. Appreciate thank it. you, thank Mike. You. It was a, was a blast. Always a blast having you on, man. Thank you. Yeah, we appreciate it, Mike. Thank you. Have a great night, Mike. You all as well. Thank you. This section of the Chirpin' Yotes podcast is brought to you by our friends over there at ESPN+. Plus. Missing out on your favorite NHL games of the week? Sign up for a subscription to ESPN+, Plus, your number one spot to watch NHL hockey by visiting InsideTheRink.com slash ESPN. Now we're on to part two of our draft lottery extravaganza. Joining with us now is Scott Wheeler, who you know as the National Prospects Writer for The Athletic. Scott, sir, how are you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks for uh, thanks for having me on tonight, folks. It was last night was a bit of a weird one, a bit of a wild one with the way that everything kind of shaped up and the mishap on the broadcast. And now I'm just sort of winding down and trying to make sense of it all. Oh yeah, it was definitely uh, quite the night. But um, boys, uh, are we ready to get this thing rolling? Let's do it. All so, right. Um, Scott, uh, you and I were chatting. You were over in Switzerland for the U18s. Um, I I know a lot of people want to hear about prospects. Uh, they want to know what you saw. 
but before we get into that, can you tell us a little bit about what it's like to, to travel to another country? Um, you know, what they offer for you while you're there, how much they help you with, what you get to do in your own time, that sort of thing. Um, you know, just from both a, a hockey perspective and, you know, from personal experience being over there. Yeah, it's uh, the, the travel piece of my job has been a, a learning experience. I've been in this job now for, geez, coming up on, on seven years at The Athletic. And the the work that I do has changed pretty drastically. In that time, I actually started at The Athletic sort of on the Leafs beat. I, I split covering the Leafs between myself, James Myrtle, and Jonas Siegel. And the three of us would sort of divvy up the 41 road games back when they used to travel to all 41 road games. And uh, I was doing the day-to-day grind of covering a hockey team while also trying to do my prospect stuff and do the work that I do on on this current sort of side of the job that I'm now in full-time. And then to transition out of that and jump right into prospect schedule, which is a lot different than the daily sort of NHL beat schedule, right? I'm not at the rink every day. I'm not uh, in a locker room every day. Uh, it, it's sort of these these one-off events that come and go, and I'm doing sort of the same num- same number of trips in a year. I'm still doing ten to twelve trips in a year, but they're they're longer stays. I'm not bouncing in and out of cities. I'm going somewhere for a week or two weeks at a time. In the case of U18 Worlds or the World Juniors or the Memorial Cup or the Frozen Four is a little bit shorter, but certainly the Memorial Cup and, and the international events are, are long stays, which allows you to, A, really get to know the people who you're covering and, and sort of spend some time getting to know these kids, being around them every day instead of hopping into a city for a day at a time kind of thing. Uh, and B, it's just really good for my work because, uh, well, frankly, when the tournaments aren't held in Canada, there's almost nobody there. And the access uh, is a lot better that way. So we're we're I, I, I mean we're very very lucky. Certainly, when the World Juniors are in Canada, um, there's a huge media presence, and you're fighting with other people to get one-on-one time with these kids and sort of build a rapport and a relationship with these kids. Uh, but for something like U18 Worlds, for example, which Hockey Canada never hosts because they've tried to turn the Holinka Gretzky Cup into their own sort of U18 tournament and as a result have almost sort of shunned uh, U18 worlds. Um, because of that, it's typically in Europe uh, or in the United States, and it's typically just me and a small number of people who cover prospects who uh, sort of report on these tournaments and, and get the access and that kind of a thing. So uh, in that way, going to Switzerland is is great for my work. It's Probably uh, U18 Worlds are probably the most valuable trip of the year for me in terms of getting insight and info and really sort of being deep on a lot of these kids. Um, so that part of it is great. The travel piece of it is, uh, from a personal standpoint, is, I don't know, it's a, a bit of a mixed bag. I have two young kids at home now, so uh, my I think my opinion on the travel has changed when my wife and I had just been married and was going away on trips and traveling and spending times in, in sort of countries and cities I'd never been to. It was a, a real sort of joy of the job. Now it's I consider it more work um, just because of, of the family piece. Uh, but it's still, 
I mean, I'm lucky. It's, it's sort of what I've always wanted to do. It's a much easier work, I would say, than being on a beat where you've got the grind of an 82 game season and playoffs and there's really no breaks. And then even the off season is filled with free agency and, and your own draft coverage, even if you're a beat reporter. And mine is, I, I, I sort of shoot into these places and, and tell stories and get to that experience of being on the road, but it's not a full sort of year long thing. I, I get to spend a good chunk of the year uh, sort of at home and watching tape and just doing sort of OHL games and that kind of thing around Toronto. So uh, it's a, it's a, I'm, I'm pretty spoiled that way all told, I think. So can I, can I add one question to that? Um, since you were, you're talking about, you know, lots of different trips, lots of different places, experiences. Do you have one story from your experience covering any tournament in any location that will always stand out to you as a favorite or, or the most memorable one for you? Man, there have been a few. Uh, As weird as the pandemic was, I was the only reporter uh, outside of TSN who was in the building for the bubble games twice in Edmonton. Obviously there were three world juniors hosted in Edmonton because of the pandemic. One of them only made it about halfway through and the experience covering that event and having to cancel and fly home at the midway point and wrap up my coverage without a gold medalist and without uh, sort of really very many games uh, having been played two Christmases ago. That was a pretty unique experience just sitting uh, in in both of those bubble tournaments in Edmonton, just sitting there alone, uh, it, it, sort of in a 20,000 seat arena, really truly alone, especially because TSN, my colleagues at TSN for, for those events in particular were a part of the bubble. Mark Masters and the people that you see on TV were taking tests every day and they were a part of the bubble. And I was staying in a hotel, a separate hotel from them and traveling to the rink and going through security, but I wasn't required to be tested. I wasn't getting face-to-face contact with the players. I was doing all of my, even though I was in the building, I was still doing my interviews over Zoom. That was a, a pretty unique experience. I also covered the the Stanley Cup bubble in Toronto uh, when it was there for the NHL playoffs. Uh, so all of all of those experiences were pretty unique because it's long days at the rink. The World Juniors is four games a day, but typically it's spread into two cities, right? So when it's in a bubble format like that, I was watching four games every single day. It was sort of 17, 16, 17 hour days at the rink. That rink in Edmonton is freezing cold. I was eating, they were delivering food to me from outside the stadium. It was just such a surreal uh, experience to to be there and to cover that tournament and to cover a gold medal game in that environment. And I covered some incredible gold medal games at the World Juniors in particular. Uh, Akil Thomas's golden goal in Ostrava in the Czech Republic. Uh, it was a real highlight. That tournament, I'd... Uh, I tore my uh, my ACL while I was there. My wife and I had gone to Prague for Christmas in advance of uh, in advance of the World Juniors in in Ostrava, which are it was kind of a, a little bit of a weird town on the outskirts of of the Czech Republic. And um, I right before I'd left to go to the tournament, I'd torn my ACL, and then I spent two weeks in the Czech Republic walking on it in pretty excruciating pain. So. Uh, that's an experience that I'll certainly never forget. Uh, the the third time around in Edmonton, uh, Mason McTavish pulling that puck off the goal line in overtime. I will never in the rest of my, I'm certain in the rest of my career covering hockey, see a play like that in overtime in the gold medal game 
with a puck in midair on the goal line and a player batting it out and and Canada obviously going the other way and Kent Johnson scoring the golden goal. So uh, those international tournaments always have a way of creating these moments that I, I, I always think I'm, I'm are going to be the, the highlight for me. And then somehow there's a year later, there's an equal one. I mean, even in, even this year's tournament in Halifax, uh, just Bedard and the Bedard show and, and what that became and, that goal that he scored in overtime against Slovakia and just the way that that building in Halifax just absolutely erupted. Uh, so just moments like that, there's, there's been some, some pretty cool ones, especially the world juniors, uh, the U18 worlds, the same thing, Germany last year with the Swedes pulling off a pretty miraculous upset in the gold medal game over, over the United States. Uh, just a, a thrill to be in the building and that, that U S team that thought they were perfect and, just the the tension and all of that. So it's uh, those international events are, are, are pretty huge, but definitely those bubbles uh, for the Stanley cup and for the world juniors. And then that experience in Ostrava, which is a pretty industrial town that was kind of abandoned and not a lot to do. And just being there exclusively for the hockey tournament with a, with a torn ACL, that was, that's, that's one I'll never forget. And that was an unbelievable tournament that was capped off with, with, as I mentioned, the, that, sort of a kill Thomas heroic moment in overtime for Canada in the gold medal game too. So uh, plenty of uh, memories that way. And I'm sure there will be more in terms of, of the world juniors in particular, that tournament just has a way of creating these pretty magical moments. Well, I can't say I speak for all of us, Scott, but I would trade you jobs in a heartbeat. It sounds like you've had a blast getting to do what you do. So Let's get into prospects. I'm going to turn it over to Grandy. He's going to ask our first question of the evening. Uh, Grandy, go ahead. Oh, yeah. So on. So speaking on the U18s, Tom Wallander received a ton of buzz after his play at the U18 tournament this year. What did you see from him and who at the U18s potentially saw their stock to biggest jump? And then on the flip side, Cam Allen received a fair amount of criticism. Who did you see potentially taking the biggest fall in this year's draft? Certainly, I think uh, Will Ander is a good place to start in terms of the risers. Uh, he was great for them across their international schedule. The, the teams in Europe obviously play, in most cases, two Five Nations tournament. There's a Five Nations tournament that happens in the fall. This year it was in Plymouth. And there's a Five Nations tournament that typically happens in February. And these are events that for the U.S. for the United States and for uh, four of the European countries are really the tune-up, the, the the practice, if you will, for those national teams in advance of U18 Worlds. And Wallander was great in the fall when I was in Plymouth at the Five Nations tournament there. He was tremendous at the, at the February tournament. I wasn't there, but watched it on tape, obviously. And then right into U18 Worlds and right through this season with Rogla, he was uh, he sort of emerged as this smooth skating, certainly one of the best skating defensemen in the draft, one of the best skaters in the draft period. Just kind of this two way horse for them. That was a pretty strong team with two uh, two other players on that blue line. It was kind of a three headed monster, and uh, two other players on that blue line in Theo Lindstein and Axel Sandin Pelika, who had buzz about them. Lindstein last year, Sandin Pelika certainly this year. Uh, and Willander kind of emerged in this tournament as the as the be- that the guy, kind of the best defenseman on that team, and I think as a result, sort of catapulted himself from what was a second round 
conversation for most of this season into now, I think, very likely a, a first round pick in this draft and one of the top defensemen that's going to be picked. So uh, there, there was a consensus sort of top 2D in this class heading into the tournament, uh, led by David Reinbacker, the Austrian who played in Switzerland at the professional level this year, and then by Sandy and Pelica. And I think there was a lot of question marks of, okay, who's going to be the third or fourth or fifth defenseman taken in this draft class? And I think now you can look at Willander and say, that's a kid six foot one with the way that he skates with the way that he played this season with the expectation that he's going to go to Boston University and step right into a top four in college hockey next year there's a lot to like and I think Will Onder will kind of be a a second half of the first round guy now and one probably the third or fourth defenseman picked in this draft so that's a credit to him and, and the tournament he had and then on the flip side, yeah, Allen, it's been a, this was kind of a disastrous year, if we're being honest, uh, for Cam Allen. He was a really important player at 16 years old in Guelph. He had an excellent season a year ago and was sort of on the radar as a potential first round pick himself and a really athletic kid, a re- really physically strong kid, a leader. Uh, there was a lot to like about his game. And then this year, I think there just became these question after question after question about decision making and how often he coughs up the puck in his own zone and certainly the pro tools and the frame and the build is all there but uh, just a, a lack of execution at times that I think really worries people and this tournament really highlighted that he was I believe minus five in Canada's tournament opening game uh, to Sweden where they lost eight nothing and then just never really got it Uh, back on the rails after that and never really sort of put all the pieces together and had a couple of really ugly moments uh, with the puck inside of his own zone as well. So uh, I'll be fascinated to see where he goes now because certainly still has name cachet and and sort of recognition that way just for what he accomplished two years ago and for the fact that he's been a captain uh, with, with the national team and that kind of a thing. Uh, but it, it seems to me like he's going to be a sort of mid to late round pick now. So uh, that's a that's a long way from where he started this season in terms of the draft conversation. And I'm not sure whether there are other kids that really hurt their stock uh, at U18 Worlds. There weren't any performances that really sort of stuck out. There were a couple of kids on the on a, the Finnish team that that lost in the quarterfinals to Slovakia and had a little bit of a disappointing tournament. There were a couple of kids on that squad who I think didn't, necessarily help themselves um but beyond that there there wasn't anybody who i think scouts left uh switzerland really really disappointed in in terms of the true top top guys at least um andrew Cristal, colby barlow for canada are two kids maybe who uh sort of underwhelmed a little bit but in in colby barlow's case he was he was banged up throughout the tournament i think that was a factor in terms of his performance and I actually thought Cristal played quite well in the second half after he slid slid sort of out of the top six and he had to play in a little bit of a different role for, for Team Canada. So those are two kids. Barlow is going to be a top 20 pick and um, Cristal is an extremely talented player who's going to likely still be a first rounder uh, despite a, a sort of disappointing tournament, if you will. And then on the flip side, uh, obviously Willander, a really, really positive tournament for Willander in terms of his status. I thought Danny Nelson uh, played the, the best hockey of his uh, season when it mattered most. Uh, he, Nelson was a kid who came out of Minnesota, joined the national program late, 
uh, was projected at the start of this year by some NHL scouts to potentially even be the best 2005 prospect on that team, which is saying a lot considering we know that four kids from that team are now going to potentially be top 10, top 15 picks. So um, he's not in that conversation anymore. And, and those kids have sort of leapt past him, but Danny played in a fourth line role after his role changed from a second line role most of the season to a fourth line one at U18 Worlds. And he was tremendous, like borderline dominant and scored some big, big goals for them in that fourth line role. So I think Nelson uh, sort of solidified himself as a second round pick uh, with his performance at U18 Worlds. And there were others, but Nelson and I think Lalander are probably the two kids that really spring to mind in terms of uh, having helped themselves. Well, there's been lots of talk about how deep this draft is. It's looking like it's going to be comparable to that 2015 class, which uh, hosted a you know very somewhat famous Connor McDavid. Uh, would you say that's kind of an agreeable thing? Yeah, this is uh, this is the tenth draft that I've sort of scouted on a full time basis, where I've tried to sort of make this into my job, kind of a thing. And uh, certainly, other than 2015, this is the best group of talent I've scouted. Uh, this top five, in in particular, uh, as truly has five potential stars. And even once you get outside that top five, I think you're going to see high-end players picked right through deep into the first round. I think it's going to have that kind of feel that 2015 had where it was Connor McDavid and Jack Eichel and Mitch Marner at the top, but there was also a little bit later, sort of still inside the top 10, you had Nico Rantanen. And then deeper into the draft, you had Matt Barzell and Thomas Shabbat and Travis Konechny and Brock Besser. And it was just a, an extremely deep class as well. And I think you'll have both of those elements in this group long-term when, when the dust settles as well. You're going to have the Dards and the Meechkovs and the Fantillies and the Leo Carlsons and the Will Smiths, that core group of five at the top have high, high-end upside as potential first-line star forwards. And then even deeper into the draft, you've got really good depth at forward. You've got a few defensemen who have emerged to make it a, a less weak draft at on, on D maybe than it was heading into the year. And then there isn't a sort of first-round talent in goal, but there are five or six goalies that have also emerged to sort of solidify themselves as legit prospects as well. So the draft in the end has a has a little bit of everything, and certainly at forward, I think that's what it will be remembered for is just the strength of this group and, and this sort of age group at, at forward, and particularly out of the WHL where you could see half a dozen sort of high-impact players out of the WHL. So with the draft shaping up like that, with the, based on the Coyotes' current pipeline, who do you see as a best fit for them in this pick six and that pick 12? It's a good question. They're they're in a pretty unique spot, right? Because they're the only team in the front half of the first round. There are multiple teams with multiple first round picks, but they're the only team with multiple first round picks in that front half, in that top 16, right? So uh, that piece of it is makes it really interesting. Um, I think they'll likely go with, go with a defenseman with at least one of those two picks and more likely the first one, if I'm being honest, if I had to sort of stake money on it. Um, I would guess they go forward second. And the reason for that is that there's a pretty clear consensus at this point that David Reinbacker is the bestie in the class. And I think there's a pretty wide recognition that he's going to be a top 10 pick, which means if they try to play the, the sort of gamble and take a forward at six, hoping that Reinbacker is going to be there at 12, 
I think there's a very, very slim odds that that actually takes place for them. Whereas if they take a player like David Reinbacker right off the top, there's still going to be several, several high-end forwards who are available at 12. So uh, there's a calculus that they're going to have to play there. I say that uh, the, that belief that I that they're going to draft a, a defenseman has little to do with conversations I've had with members of that organization and everything to do just with the fact that their last three high picks have been Logan Cooley, Dylan Gunther, and Connor Geeky, right? They've gone forward, 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 forward here uh, for a little bit at the top of the draft. So it just makes sense to sort of uh, offset that by potentially targeting a defenseman with at least one of those those two picks. Um, now, that's not a, it's not a guarantee that they go with David Reinbacker at six. It's not even a guarantee that David Reinbacker is there at six. I, I would not be stunned if the Montreal Canadiens uh, took took Reinbacker at five either. But I do think that it's more likely that he's there than that he's not. And I think that if he is, that would be a pretty compelling uh, option for, for them and where they're at in their rebuild and all of that. So, um, yeah, I think Reinbacker makes a lot of sense. And then at 12, things get interesting. I It's my understanding. <laughs> This may be a, a little bit of a spoiler, but it's my understanding that they really like Dalibor Dvorsky. Um, I don't think Dvorsky is going to be there at 12 either, though. So I wonder uh, I wonder whether Dvorsky is, is a strong consideration at six, if they like him as much as it sounds like they do. He was just a – Arizona was a team that I kept hearing when I was doing my story on Dvorsky, uh, just speaking to people in Sweden and, and sort of around the league about uh, in, sort of what Dvorsky might offer and all of that. Um, Coyotes were just a team that came up a couple of times. There were a couple of other teams that I know have have liked him and have had conversations with him throughout the year and all of that. But um, I, I think Dvorsky is someone that they that they covet. Uh, I'm not sure he's going to be there at 12, which complicates it. Um, but it, that I, I think a player like that makes a lot of sense. You've got Logan Cooley as a potential sort of first line center long term. You've got players like Connor Geeky and Barrett Hayton that that sort of fit that third line potential center role. And a, a player like Dvorsky could be that natural sort of second line center behind behind a Cooley. So I, I think that's the kind of the sort of thought process that they're likely going through with those two picks, more or less. So I'm glad you mentioned Connor Geeky. Um, there's been some speculation that he might not stick at center at the NHL level. Um, is there anything in particular you've seen from his game this year? that might think or might make you think he's more suited to playing on the wing? Definitely. The last two years, just having watched that Winnipeg Ice team a heck of a lot because of all the talent that's there and because of how strong they've been in each of the last two seasons, uh, he's played both, right? He they've, they've tinkered with him and they haven't been fully comfortable with him. They're at the wing or at center. They've sort of jumbled his lines. Last year, they had this kind of kid line with Geeky, Savoy, and Benson for a little while. Then this year, when they tried to go back to that, those three kids, for whatever reason, just didn't really click. And so they jumbled the lines a little again. And for whatever reason, he just hasn't, he hasn't taken off. He's he's had two very productive seasons. He's a very talented player for his size. He's obviously huge and has that length. Um, the skating is a bit of a concern. Uh, it was also a concern for his brother. Most scouts believe that uh, Connor is a better skater than Morgan. Obviously, Morgan's playing in the playoffs right now for the Seattle Kraken. Um, so th- it's that's tricky, right? Everybody wants centers to play with pace. They're the players who are most involved on the ice, uh, and you 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 need to be able to move. And at his size, sometimes players can struggle with that. And 
I think he, he moves just fine once he gets going. It's just those sort of little races, those little stops and starts where I think he can run into some trouble. Uh, but he's got puck possession skill. He's got talent. Uh, he's not just the, the big center. There, there's more to him than that. He's got a lot of skill on the puck, and he can shoot it, and he can make plays, and he can pass it, and he can handle it. And there, there is some pretty compelling qualities there. So I'll be interested to see where he lands up. I wouldn't be shocked in the least if he, if he were a winger long-term. Um, but it, uh, I, I wouldn't rule him out as, as a long-term center either. He was always going to be a bit of a project and a player that they spent some time sort of molding. And I don't think he's anywhere near a finished product uh, at this stage of his career, right? So there's there's still a lot of growing that's going to happen there for him. And I, I think he's got a chance to stick at center still. So early this year, you also had Logan Cooley, as the best team-owned prospect in the league, where would you expect him to go in this draft if he was to be drafted this year? That's a good question. And one I've been asked uh, a number of times in, in recent months, just as, as people, I think, try to get their bearings on what the 2022 class looked like relative to the 2023 class. And I think excluding what we saw of Logan this year, which was obviously a fabulous college season, um, no, no ifs, ands, or buts. He was tremendous this year. And, especially in the second half, really found another level and, and turned it on. Um, knowing sort of where I was at, I think it, the, the fairest answer, the fairest way to answer that question is knowing where I, is by answering it, knowing where I was at on him before his draft and where these kids are at before their drafts, so that they're sort of at the same age when I'm making that judgment. And I think my value, if, if I were evaluating where I was on Logan Cooley a year ago and I had Logan, in that second, third conversation um, in the 2022 class, uh, I would I I would probably have ranked him sixth or seventh in this draft, maybe eight, maybe even eighth in terms of my board. I think he would not have ranked in that f- group of five that I talked about. Obviously, Bedard and Fantilli stand alone. Then you've got Michkov and Carlson and the emergence of Will Smith, who had a historic season at the National Development Program. I think Smith is a more talented player uh, in terms of that pure, pure sort of puck skill uh, than Cooley is and was. Cooley has a competitiveness and and sort of two-way presence to him and just has a little bit of a fire to him that Will Smith certainly doesn't have in terms of his play off the puck, his effort level, his sort of how engaged he is in battles and all that. Those are all real strengths of Logan Cooley's. But I just think the upside on a Will Smith is 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 a little bit higher in terms of what his ceiling might look as a point look like as a sort of pure point producer. So I think Cooley probably would have ranked sort of sixth or seventh on my board. Sticking with the Logan Cooley uh, question, um, personally, I have one. Him and Adam Fantilli are actually only, I believe, five months apart in age. They had very uh-huh. similar seasons. I know the drafts are separated based on birth date. Uh, that would make Fantilli a little bit older in this class, Cooley a little bit younger in his. Um, you said six to seven in his draft year. If Cooley was going in this year, you know, had he been born a couple months later, um, does Cooley break into that top five? I mean, I, I'm asking this for Arizona fans who want to know you know, since they missed out on the lottery, there is no Connor Bedard. There's no Adam Fantilli. Do they potentially have a franchise changing center in Logan Cooley? 
Yeah, I, 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 you're talking about sort of knowing what his college year looked like, whether he would break into that that top five. Yeah, based on based on his play this year at mm. at Minnesota. Yeah, he'd certainly be closer to that conversation, um, just because you've got that that base of knowledge that he had a tremendous year, and you haven't yet seen that at the college level out of a Will Smith. Although Will Smith in the NTDP's games against college opposition this season was tremendous, like almost two points per game in terms of lighting up NCAA opposition with the national program, which is obviously a little different because the national program is loaded with talent and he was playing on a pretty special line with Gabe Perot and Ryan Leonard as well. And there was all sorts of things at play when you're on the national team. But uh, yeah, he'd be, he'd be closer to that mix. I still think you're probably looking at sixth for me just a big big fan of those top that top five but he'd be he'd be closer to leo carlson and and to will smith than he would have been say a year ago just knowing what he'd done at the national program uh, and excluding his college season so this season has has helped him that way Uh, i think he looks not as favorable as favorable as a prospect as he did a year ago than potentially more so. Um, there's there's a, a real belief among scouts that Cooley's going to be an impact player in the NHL. I don't think he's going to get to that sort of 85, 90 point echelon that, that puts a player in the top 10 in the league in scoring kind of thing. I don't think he's quite got that sort of production uh, in his future. But I do believe that he, he still has a real opportunity to be a true 1C be a eight nine million dollar player even if he's not a 12 million dollar player and to put up 70 points a year and be the the driver on his team and be the the sort of best player on the top power play unit and the best player on your team's best line and all of that i, I think that's a, a still a very real expectation for cooley and should be and, and i think the expectation for him should be that he's going to be the, the face of the franchise and and a, and a real sort of a central component to whatever happens next for the Coyotes. Well, I appreciate all your your thoughts and information on Logan Cooley and on this year's draft, as do we all. Um, before we let you go, Scott, I have one more question for you. Um, next year's draft, I know this is way too early to get into, you know, where you think anybody's going to go or anything like that. But as of right now, there's a lot of speculation that we could see anywhere from 11 to maybe 13 or 14 even defensemen go in the first round of next year's draft. Um, Going back 10 years, I believe we've only got two drafts that saw double digit numbers. And 2018 was the only draft that we actually saw more than 10. I think we saw 12 that year. Um, That class was notoriously underwhelming at the forward position going into next year's draft do you see it being underwhelming in terms of talent for forwards or are we looking potentially at a draft that's just very good defensively i think there are going to be a few sort of premier forward prospects at the very front of next year's draft macklin celebrini is I'm certain, barring injury uh, or something catastrophic, is going to be the the number one pick in, in next year's draft. I think he solidified that case at U18 Worlds with his play. Um, he's just a, a horse, a driver, a kind of 
I hate to use the term sort of Sidney Crosby light, but that's what he that's what he reminds of. He's that sort of heavy on the puck, dominant player. Uh, and so there's a there's a lot of excitement about Macklin Celebrini. He's not in that Bedard sort of Connor McDavid stratosphere, but he's a true sort of upper echelon forward prospect. After that, uh, I think it's f- absolutely fair to say that it's a little bit of a weaker draft, especially relative to this year uh, at forward. Cole Eiserman is is sort of the guy out of the National Development Program. Um, he's he's a, a stud, a goal scorer, a pure sniper who has some issues in terms of a little bit of selfishness that creeps in and poor decision-making and that kind of thing, but is the ultimate talent in terms of a, a pure shooter. And then after the, after Celebrini and Eisenman, it's, it's, it's an interesting draft at forward. Ivan Demidov out of Russia is a legit sort of top prospect out of Russia, which is, uh, uh, will be good for them and their national program there after they already have, sort of Matt Vemichkov coming through this group, and it's a, a little bit of a rejuvenated era after a couple of weaker drafts for Russia. Um, Berkeley Catton out of Spokane is a legit prospect, but that, that you're really only talking about, I, I was very impressed, and many folks were, by Konsta Hellenius as well, uh, the, the Finnish kid who, who played extremely well and was a driver as an underager at U18 Worlds for a disappointing Finnish team. So, but the, again, that's I just listed off five forward names there, and normally I'd I'd, I'd rattle off ten or eleven, right? So uh, certainly thinner at forward next year. And on the flip side, on to answer your question on the defenseman piece of it, yeah, definitely a, a really strong group. Uh, the two who sort of headline it are Artem Levshunov, who is a Belarusian kid who came over and played for Green Bay in the USHL this year, and may return to Green Bay because he can't gain entry into the CHL due to the CHL's rules uh, sort of prohibiting the the entry of, of Belarusians and Russians at the moment. But Levshunov is the real deal, had a sort of comparable season in the USHL at his age to the one that Owen Power had. Obviously, Owen Power was a first overall pick. Uh, and then Aaron Kibiharu is a player that hockey fans, uh, sort of diehard hockey fans, I'm sure, are already familiar with. A, a sort of true offensive defenseman out of Finland who's been on our radar after playing way above his age group coming up uh, for a number of years now. So uh, Haru and Levshunov are, are sort of the cream of that crop. But you go right down the list, I could rattle off a ton of names on defense. And I, I couldn't say that about the forward group. So Henry Muse, um, Zane Parekh, who, who bro- broke the U7, the U18 scoring record, uh, goals record in the OHL this year. Um, Sam Dickinson, Cole Hudson, uh, Lane's younger brother at the national program, who actually was more productive uh, in his uh, U17 year at the national program this year than Lane was. And Lane is now playing for the United States at men's world championships as a teenager. So uh, just a, a really interesting group. Another brother in Adam Yurichek, who is the younger brother of uh, obviously the year, the Yurichek who, who went to the Columbus Blue Jackets sixth overall last year, uh, David, obviously. So uh, it's a, it's a, it's a exciting group on defense. There's going to be some, some real quality there. Uh, and and a, a, a sort of average group, I would argue, maybe even slightly below average group at forward by the looks of it, with Celebrini being the, the, the exception to that as a potential uh, kind of star player. So almost a mirror image to what we're going to get out of this year's draft. Yeah, a little bit, yeah. All right. Well, Scott, we uh, we really appreciate you coming on today. Um, 
before we go, anybody else have any more questions for Scott? No, I think he covered it all. Thank you so much for joining us, Scott. It was a real pleasure having you on. Always enjoy listening to you talk prospects. Cheers, guys. I appreciate it. Back at you. It was fun. Thank you for coming on, sir. Thanks, Scott. We will chat with you again, hopefully. Guys, yep, will do. All right. That was Scott Wheeler. Uh, Great, as always, to interview somebody so knowledgeable about the upcoming draft. Um, We're we're not far away at this point. Um, As always, uh, you know, we're going to continue this extravaganza. We've got Big Tortilla coming up. Uh, He's going to be on with us just a little bit later. Uh, We're going to get into our second ad read of the evening. This podcast is brought to you by the Inside the Rink mobile app. In this app, it'll contain all sorts of goodies such as, well, this podcast, some merchandise of this podcast, many of our other podcasts, part of the network, and my personal favorite part, articles written by the very own Professor Grandy himself. Please get this app a download today. Rate it some good stars if you liked it. And back to the show. And joining us now is Big Tortilla, a big fan favorite, sir. How are you doing? How's it going, Holmes? Pretty good. Pretty good. Glad to have you back on. It's great to be back on. Awesome. Thanks well, for having me. What's that? Thanks for having me. Oh, of course. Anytime. So we actually yeah. brought you on because we had a topic that I think uh, only a big tortilla-style rant could really, really cover the emotions of. So I'm just going to go on and say it. Uh, Chicago pretty much didn't get punished for the Kyle Beach incident. And uh, I, I'm, you know, I'm just going to turn it over to you, big tortilla. Go ahead and hang say on, your piece. Just it. one oh. thing before we before we leave it at that. There's John Doe number two. This is more than just Kyle Beach. Oh, that's right. So that's right. My, my mistake on that. Let's keep that in there. You know, mm-hmm. this this is a big deal. This is way bigger than just hockey. Oh, definitely is. Definitely is. And, you know, again, we're going to start ranting about it. So without further ado, please, Big Tortilla, take the floor. You know, where do I start? I mean, that is, oh, that is messed up. I mean, Chicago, what? Uh, you know what? Actually, you know what? It's the league. NHL league, whoever is in charge. I know they're going to say Gary Bettman, but we all know it's more than just Bettman. What the fuck are you thinking, man? There it is. You call it a sexual assault on players, and not just Kyle Beach, like you were saying, there was others. I mean, that is some heinous shit, right? Okay, that's. Uh, My jar's getting full. (laughs) I mean, what the hell did we do? All we did was exercise the players. And you take a first and a second, and then you leave these bastards all alone? You give them $2 million in fines? That's chump change, man. I mean, what do you... I mean, what the hell? I mean... You charge these guys, and then you say, hey, it's okay? I mean, what? Do you know Jeffrey Epstein or something? I mean, you guys want that island, too, or what? I mean, I don't fucking get Oh, that's fucking Florida. That's fine. Oh, shit. <laughs> um, you guys are so... I think that way. I... I mean, the fact that they even were in this position. I mean... I don't cry about this shit, but you motherfuckers are letting a sexual assault go. 
If it wasn't that, I wouldn't be complaining. All right. So they get Connor Bernard. I mean, they they made the, the two million dollars in sales in jerseys just last night. So that didn't hurt him. Percussions here. Hey, if that would have happened on my block, those fools would have been greenlighted. Man, we would have taken them out quicker than quick. But hey, no, we have to be all civilized and charge them two million dollars. What the? A bottle? Do you what? I mean, you, you, you must like it. I mean, that's the only thing I can think of. You're doing it too, then. Because people like us, we don't put up with that crap. We don't do that shit. Um, damn it, I'm going to do a dance. Um, <laughs> <laughs> he's already, he's right, so, already at seven, I've counted. Nine, I, I, I am at nine. So... <laughs> You want to yeah, explain he, that to you real quick? Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead and tell everybody why you have to do a dance. I, I, so my my niece listened to the show and she was upset at me for all the amount of swearing I was doing because I'm always on her about being prim and proper and all that. And she was on me and she made me <laughs> promise to cut it down. And I have ten swear words. Is my a limit? After ten, I have to do something called a a Wednesday dance and record it and show everybody. <laughs> so I don't. I just saw what the hell I I said I was gonna do, and I don't want to do that because it's when they see me acting like that because that's what they like. They like to see men bounce around, especially young boys. I mean, I'm glad I'm not a young man anymore. But hey. I get my Latin pro. They'll be on I mean, I'm telling you, that's what they like. Chicago likes. No, they, oh, boy. I, I feel like, like she should have given you like 30 swear words because mm-hmm. you've only been on for like three minutes now and you've already exceeded your limit. Fuck! <laughs> to and be fair, we, we completely teed him up with the Chicago. No, I sure did. I, I take I take fault in we that. Sh- yeah. Uh, we should. The reality we is, we want to see you do this dance. dance. We want to see you yeah. do this dance. That's what it comes yeah. down to. Uh, with Trip and Yost Twitter. Oh my gosh! But seriously, okay. I mean, Mihal, you're gonna have to get, let me slide a little bit. Give me another ten or something, because I mean, no, we're talking full assault. And you're and they turn their blind eyes to it. I so mean, let me let me ask you what if you look at punishments in the past, the Ilya Kovalchuk thing, the devil's lost draft picks over, that was what like a 15-year contract. Um, they signed it so long and front loaded it so that the cap hit would be lower. And it was basically cap circumvention, but at the time it was legal under the CBA. And New Jersey lost draft picks for doing something that was legal. Arizona loses draft picks for testing players early before the window to to test prospects. They lose a first and a second round pick. Um, Chicago gets fined $2 million for this. What should Chicago's punishment have been? Chicago's punishment should have been at least, I I, want to be fair. You know, if I I take the comedy all out of this, because we are dealing with someone's lives here. You know, we're we're not talking about uh, uh, skimming points and stuff like that. We're talking 
these people have to live with the fact that they had this done to them. Yeah, absolutely. So, like somebody went through serious trauma. I mean, that, I mean, yeah. So I mean, it's got to be the starter, a starter for first rounders. I, I'm serious because I mean, sexual assault. If it was a chick, it would be. I'm sorry for all the chicks out there. I mean, all the ladies. <laughs> But I mean, if it was a woman, the price would have been heavy. Someone should have gone to jail. Actually, it should have been at least four first, and then I mean, you got. I mean, how do you put a, a, a monetary? Yeah, no, you're right. Thing? How do you put a monetary value on someone suffering like that? Yeah, definitely. I mean, we we look it's at fun. what happened with Hockey Canada. Um, in a couple of their recent investigations, they actually lost national funding over some of the stuff that they did. And and Hockey Canada didn't look to cover it up. They were just things that were found out. The Blackhawks actively, actively covered this up. Not only did they... they just come... Yeah. Not only did they on, fire dude. the doctor, they wrote him a letter of recommendation to go work somewhere else. They had team meetings where they thought it would be detrimental to their cup runs and it would disrupt what they had going and the winning ways that they had if these things came to light. So they were told to bury them. This isn't just, we found out something happened that nobody else knew about. This is, a sexual assault happened and we decided that winning and that team chemistry and that avoiding some sort of scandal was more important because we had to win a Stanley cup than it was to make it right by the victim that we actually gave this person a letter of recommendation so he could go do it again to somebody else. And he did. Who? million dollars that's it two million dollars they made that back in ticket sales within an hour of the lottery mm -hmm. an hour mm -hmm. it's just it baffles me especially when you look at other punishments around the league especially you know what the coyotes should have been punished we messed up we did mm -hmm. do wrong i still think the punishment was a little bit heavy but i'm not going to sit here and say we shouldn't have been punished Mm -hmm. The devils shouldn't have been punished. They did something that was completely legal under precedent. Both those punishments were far more severe than this. If you just look at the monetary value a draft pick brings to your team, you just got complete evidence of it with the Connor mm -hmm. Bedard. Even if it wasn't a top five pick, the Toronto Maple Leafs traded the 15th overall pick to clear up Seven and a half million dollars of Patrick Marlowe on in uh, 2020. So, uh, losing a first round pick, let's say that's what it clears up. That's what its uh, its valuation is, and it's just ah oh my, it's baffling that they didn't lose more than that. They didn't strip picks. They didn't do anything like that because, again, this is somebody as Big Tortilla said. This is or Matt said. Can't even remember who. I'm just so angry. <laughs> This is people's lives. This is people's something they're going to have to deal with for the rest of their life. And it's 
Oh man. Um, and this isn't something where we're raging like this because the Coyotes didn't win the lottery. No, I think every single one of us expected us to pick at six or seven. I don't mm-hmm. think anybody truly expected us to pick at one or two. It's because is what the odds said. This isn't because we lost the lottery or we're pissed. No, this is because the one team, the one team that would have made me feel this way won it. Montreal wins it. I'm not happy, but okay, cool. They won it. Yeah, now they can't pick first overall again for a couple more years. Perfect. Let them have them. Anaheim wins it. Again, not happy. Let them have them. Any other team wins him, and it's like, yeah, okay, I get it. It, but is why we have the lottery. Chicago winning it is just—they shouldn't have this pick. That's just—that's what it comes down to. They should not have this pick. It is—it is a complete embarrassment and black eye on the league that they have this pick. It is—it should be a the NHL should be ashamed that. They now have to market the next big superstar on the same team that just did all this. I'm just no, yeah. I mean, I so think we I, all are. I, I want to read you guys something real quick because this might be something that uh, nobody's actually forgotten about, but just as a refresher, um, a couple years ago, the Astros in baseball were sanctioned for stealing signs. Now. If you ask me, sexual assault, far worse than stealing signs. Of course. Uh, the Astros were punished with a maximum allowable fine of $5 million to Chicago's $2 million. The Astros forfeited their first and second round picks in 2020 and 2021. Um, granted, no players were punished, which we didn't see in Chicago either, uh, despite the fact that you know reports said that Basically, the entire locker room knew. And you got guys like Jonathan Taves and Patrick Kane coming out saying, well, we didn't know that didn't happen. And then picture surface of, you know, homophobic slurs on whiteboards behind them. And, you know, things of that nature, just the the culture in that room. It, it really makes you question what was actually going on in Chicago at the time. Um, some similarities that the Astros general manager and their, um, you know, their their bench coach, their bench boss manager, they were suspended for a season. We still haven't seen Joe Quinville or Stan Bowman back in the league. Both of them do need permission to come back. But the person who really hasn't suffered here is Rocky Wirtz. And he's the guy who's making money off of this lottery pick win. Connor Bedard going to Chicago is selling tickets. Chicago wasn't selling out their arena this year. They had empty seats every single night. Their attendance was not above, I I mean, paid attendance and actual attendance. Their actual attendance wasn't over probably 85%. Um, they were struggling. They're just entering their rebuild. They just had Patrick Kane and Jonathan Taves, who were considered two franchise players, both leave the team. Taves because they're not going to resign him. Kane because he was traded. They're transitioning, and all of a sudden, they get gifted somebody after those two franchise players who they were gifted in the first place were part of covering up this scandal. It's not right. The NHL fucked this up in a big way. The thing is, I just don't know. 
God, I'm also with you, Grandy, on that anger. I'm trying to like just funnel into a way that sounds articulate. But I mean, I, I just, you know, I, I can't tell if that proves it's not rigged or the NHL just really doesn't care. They saw that pick come up and were like, you know, let's roll with it because Chicago is one of the big six teams, or original six teams. They sell tickets, and I, and I hate not saying that, Matt. You were saying that, but like they're saying that, oh, like they struggle to sell tickets. Like I don't give a flip. Don't want to add to the swear jar. Tortilla's already pushing it. Um, <laughs> that they they struggled. You just had a cup run. You just had it. your dynasty. Literally just ended this off season. It just ended. You know, with Kane and you know, I don't even give a fuck. fuck Taves. I don't care. I'll add two dollars for that one because fuck Taves again. Um, so I, I don't feel any sympathy. I, I don't know why Chicago fans are like, but but we just lost our star player. Like, bro, we lost the draft pick for working out a kid. We we set our franchise back two years working out a kid. The Devils, as you guys said, set their franchise back what about the same time too for for far less. I mean, I know we've said this, but God, I just can't get over it. I am just baffled that a league is just like, oh well, shrug emoji. Oh well, and, and the worst part, the worst part in all of this is is Chicago wasn't going to pick later than five, no matter what. They were going to get a fantastic player, regardless of the lottery results. Which is They'd, why this pick should have just been gone. It's just that's uh. that's what I was gonna say too. Is I would have, and I don't say love as, and I want to see another team do sexual assault. Obviously, not PR team. Relax. I would have loved to have seen if it wasn't Chicago. If it was just a, a Coyotes, a, a Dallas Star, someone that isn't as popular or whatever, do this. I would have had the same reaction. I would, I would bet my soul on that. It wouldn't be. I guarantee you, if the Coyotes would have pulled this off, we would have had hell and high water absolutely come down upon us. Hell, they'd probably make us relocate. That's, I mean, seriously, I, I would just, it's disgusting. It really is. Yeah. Being an original six team is almost a get out of jail free card in this circumstance, because uh, like you said, if another team tried covering up something like this, I couldn't imagine what the league would do. Like we saw Sarver forced to sell the Suns over some comments that he made. Just comments, just, like I'm just not sure yeah. small actions, but just comments. He didn't try yeah. to cover up, as far as we know. Like, like verbal abuse but... and sexual assault—they're both bad. Don't get me wrong; they're both bad. Uh, but there's a massive one way is gap. more than the other. Yeah, yeah. There's a yeah, massive gap between the two. This isn't trivializing what Robert Sarver is doing. It's just trying yeah. to put in perspective how bad the, what the Blackhawks did is. Okay. Think about this, okay? So before the pandemic broke out, what was happening in the league? Coaches were getting fired left and right for racial comments. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was the big, big thing of that year before the COVID broke out. So the league did all this stuff, you know, uh, commercials, uh, you know, started mm-hmm. programs, you know, to correct all this stuff, which they should have. This comes out and crickets, nothing. Original sixteen, baby. Original sixteen. Where the hell are you? Where are the fans on this? That's another thing, we, too, I was going to say. If the Coyotes did this, we'd be booed. We would be trashed on Twitter. I mean, the, the, the what do you call it? The court of, you know, public whatever would be screwed yeah. on us. But yet the Blackhawks and people make fun of it. But the Blackhawks fans justice. are like, that's I, it. Thank you. I will, I will say the court of public opinion has that's been it. pretty heavily. It's been pretty heavily against the Blackhawks. It, it, it has come down hard on the Blackhawks. But, after but the, the problem is, won. it's it's after the fact. They're upset it, now yeah. because the Blackhawks won the lottery. Yeah. There wasn't enough outcry mm-hmm. when this happened, when punishment came down, 
and and more so like the league is everybody knows the league struggling as far as viewership goes um you know 20 years ago the nhl was probably more popular than the nba that's flipped massively the nhl struggling to gain new fans and when you talk about political culture today and what sexual assault actually means to most people today and how how at the forefront that is and the nhl goes and and just minimizes the fine like we're talking about the fine being the cap hit of like your fourth line center that's what the fine was you had to pay an extra fourth line center that's what the punishment was and you're wondering why you can't bring in more fans I'm sorry, but it, you you dropped the ball in this big NHL. Like, it, I don't it, even know why people are upset with the Department of Player Safety and, you know, anything else that the NHL might screw up occasionally. This was big. This was huge. You had a chance to tell the world that you're with people, you're with the victim, you're with the players, and you didn't do enough. You literally let Chicago skate on this. And then you go and gift them one of the best play. I mean, if you if you figure that McDavid, Ovechkin, and Crosby yeah, are, so, yeah, are the, the best three best years. talents to come out since 2003, 20 years ago, Mc, um, sorry, Bedard is in that conversation, and you just gave Chicago one of the four best talents to enter the NHL in the last 20 years despite the fact that they tried to cover this up, actively tried to cover this up. It wasn't some rogue thing either. It wasn't like one rogue person in the office kept it. It was it was a whole organization, top to bottom new. And it's it's just it's crazy. I mean I I think we can complain about that all day. I think this And it, it wasn't even like this guy did it like outside of the game. This was within the organization. Like so somebody in, locker in an organization yeah. 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 Somebody in the organization goes and does this on their own personal time. You fire them. You report anything you can. You yeah, wash your yeah. hands of that player. But this happened in-house. This isn't like somebody made a mistake outside their job. In the yeah. act of performing a service that they were hired to do, they crossed the line and committed a sexual assault. And you still the- tried to cover it up. I just remember this. Ottawa had something similar. They were at the Columbine, and one of the it was it the assistant GM uh, sexually assaulted a bus driver. What the they heck? Fired him. <laughs> yeah, uh, I was like, oh dang. I, I bet I could find it. Um, because it was like when all this news came out about how bad Ottawa was, and it just kept getting worse. Yeah, he was at the Columbine. And uh, I'm fine. He's, yeah, thank you. Columbine um, was a school. Yeah, the PR okay. department's <laughs> glaring over my shoulder, boys. I see him. I know. I know PR department. We're, we'll be okay. I'm we got a swear jar. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, PR team. I'm trying, man. But, but I mean, he, he sexually assaulted the uh, bus driver. And Ottawa took action right away and did the right thing and fired him. Do you, do you by chance remember what what was hit with from the league? 
Same. Do not. I just it just popped in my head. It was like because I I remember, oh man, how bad could it get over there? Because the news had just come out that they might move, and uh, you know the all so the I'm trying to trying to find like an article on it. Make sure we got it all. Oh, shoot. Man, all right, like... so we got uh, Senator's assistant GM, uh, Randy Lee, charged with harassing hotel shuttle bus driver. That's it. Um, That's it. Randy Lee is accused of inappropriately touching and making lewd comments towards a hotel shuttle bus driver while in Buffalo for the NHL scouting combine. Lee was charged with second-degree harassment on Friday after being arrested and spending the night in jail. Uh, Lee faces a fine and up to 15 days in jail. Uh, the senator said in a statement that the team officials knew of the arraignment and were reviewing the situation. It is unclear whether Lee has an attorney. He did not appear with an attorney at his arraignment. Um, goes on and on. Same thing. Uh, Lee first asked the 19-year-old male driver if he could sit in the front seat of the van and then made lewd court comments while placing his hands on the driver's shoulder um so it just kind of goes on lee spent 23 seasons with the senators just completed his fourth as an assistant gm he was promoted to the job in january of 2014 um i don't see anything as far as punishment goes um but he's no longer with the team i mean he's, he's gone yeah i mean they they took care of the situation right away. The exactly, they took care of that. They, it yeah. was immediate. Yeah. Yep. See, sometimes yeah, it helps. <laughs> Remember this though. Oh. Hmm. Yeah, I'm. I'm uh, so I mean, I, that's that's I impressive that you remembered that. That's yeah. I yeah, I haven't heard of that till now. So well, now, now that you shit. say it, I do remember. I do remember seeing and reading little tidbits of it. I, I know it didn't blow up to this extent that because again, like you pointed out, Ottawa took care of it right away. They didn't yeah. wait, you know, five years or, or eight years after they've won three Stanley cups to come out and be like, Hey, we kind of covered this up. We're sorry. We didn't want to disrupt the, the team flow and the chemistry and the winning ways of the team. We didn't want to cause a distraction. Ottawa just, they took care of it. They were done. They washed their hands of him. They moved on. Somebody made a mistake outside of, you know, the locker room. And they took care of it. And again, this is in-house. This is the assault of a team doctor on a team player. Moving on from, moving on from this and the passions we all have (laughs) with this and, and I, it, it's probably a good, so idea. Probably a good it feels, idea. It feels almost wrong moving away from it. And it really does. I feel guilty even doing this. But moving on from this, let's talk about the hockey side of this and how does this affect the Chicago Blackhawks? Because I think our earlier guest, Mike, made some really good points about it. About They're on a path to mediocrity. They don't have a good prospect pool. I don't love their prospect pool. Um, there's people out there that do, but they don't have the top tier talent. They have some decent picks. They have a decent amount of picks moving forward, but it takes more than an amount of picks. You also need the top talent and Bedard might push them out of that range alone. Um, 
how does but how do you think this affects the Blackhawks as a division rival moving forward? I don't see them doing really anything for the next four years. They got lucky in getting this pick, but they have, like you were saying, they have nothing behind him. There's no team for him. They're going to have to build around him. If it was us, at least he would have had a team around him. You know, we have pieces in place. You know, they're, and they're going to waste, what, his, his first three years, and then they'll have to sign him at a higher cost, and they'll still have no one really behind him. And if he gets any traction and they get any decent team or team behind them, will it be good enough to compete for a playoffs? Probably not. So they're going to be picking right in the middle. So they're not going to get good picks, the better picks, because they're going to be right in the middle. They're not going to be really contending for anything. It's going to be a mess. They're going to have to start uh, doing free agency if that's what they want to do. I don't see them really doing it. I don't He's going to get very frustrated. Yeah, I, but, I agree. I 100% agree. Like, I Lucas Reichel might be their best prospect. And to me, he's a best forward prospect. He might be a second line winger. They got Kevin Korchinski, but they're, are they not Edmonton 2.0 at this point? I would say so. They're, Edmund, they're Edmonton 2.0 without Taylor Hall. In without uh, Dreisaitl, which is a really scary thought. Now, the Oilers bungled that Taylor Hall trade, but still, they managed. Oh, come on, Adam! Adam asset. Larson is a is a Hall of Famer, bro. Adam Larson is a Hall <laughs> of Famer. But yeah, they're they're the Oilers without Hall and without that's that is a really scary thought moving forward, like. If I was the Coyotes in that situation, I'd be really worried that we would just be the mushy middle for the next eight, ten years, because that's what it seems like Chicago's on pace for. And I, for one, like that. Yeah, I'm, I'm upset they got Bedard. Don't get me wrong. But the fact they'll be suffering for about ten years makes me, as both a Coyotes fan and a Red Wings fan, triple-double happy. So, fuck them. Triple-double? What, what are we, a basketball podcast now? Uh, we're an in and out Burger podcast, because that sounds delicious. <laughs> Oh my double, god! Double double with cheese. Oh, oh thank that you. Sounds so good right now, doesn't it? Though Any, anybody oh, listening outside of like the West Coast of the United States has no idea what we're talking no. about. And mm. not screw you guys because I miss that so much. Come on down, Granny. Got a spare room. Come on down, like I'll buy it. I'm buying. Come on down. You don't like it? What are you, a Waterburger fan? Please say no. no. Please. No. Oh, oh I tried Waterburger once. I moved down here, and I was like, "What the hell is this crap?" <laughs> my boy thank god there's nothing wrong with liking both all right um there is if you like what if you think whataburger is like this super 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 amazing thing way over in and out burger you're either a texan who is hey, wrong no, no. I, I said wrong. i said liking both i said liking both well, i was one to address i mean yes the other i mean I just know I lived in Texas for a long time, and they they talk about In and Out like it's this devil. Like, oh, In and Out Burger. Oh, that's from hey, California. Hey, last like, I on. checked, last I checked, In and Out doesn't put green chilies on their burgers. Thank God. Thank God. Thank Get the God. fuck out of Arizona, bud. What? Thank Get God. out of Arizona. We're we're right next to like New Mexico. The yeah, hatch green, green chilies. Chili I like hatch green chilies. Not on my burger. The world. Yeah, I like hatch green chilies. Not on my burger. 
I give me. I bet you like ketchup on hot dogs. Uh, no, I don't eat anything about hot dogs. I bet you oh, like I ketchup. Love no, no, no. Anybody that put. You know what? We're getting off topic, boys. Uh, yes, don't we, we always though? This is what the fans sign up for. This is why they listen yeah. to us. They listen to us for <laughs> hockey analysis. They listen to us to see what the hell we're gonna say next week. Ketchup on mac and cheese is good. That's all I'm saying. You said ketchup on mac. You're about to never be allowed back on this show again. <laughs> we got to move on. We got to move on before. Let's that, get Chase's food takes on here. Let's call Chase and we're still awake. <laughs> Man said ketchup on mac and cheese. That is, I have not heard that. I will be honest. That is a new one. That, that shocked even me. Wow. I was I was dropped on my head at the time. Wow. Okay. Well, I mean... Well, I- give you a hug. I, at least but at least you're up. willing to clear that up on the air all right so look moving on guys um how do we feel about where the coyotes are picking um there was a lot of like oh well they're probably gonna end up picking seventh when you know they finished sixth a lot of people thought we were gonna get jumped so we were gonna get pushed back to seventh um the ottawa pick you know that didn't turn into a lottery protected pick Coyotes are still going to pick 12th there. How are you guys feeling about where the Coyotes are at? You know, if I may go first, you know, I think with Bill Armstrong has kind of earned my faith at this point. I know I've said on frequent times I've drank the Kool-Aid, and I'll take another swig here in a minute. But I think he'll either draft something really good at 12 or make a good move. You know, I, what Mike was saying earlier uh, today, yes, today, recordings all, all out, of the, out of whack. I think there's some really good moves there. I mean, it made me feel more confident hearing our past two guests that happened in the beginning part of the podcast. I feel more confident now than I did previously hearing, you know, those thoughts. So that's for sure. So with the results of the lottery, I'm fine. I'm perfectly, like I said, this is what was expected. We didn't fall. We didn't lose the Ottawa Senators pick. I'm fine. I'm still not. 100% thrilled that we're picking six and a five player, you know, five top tier player draft, but that was decided months ago. So there's not much we can really do about that. But as for the after effects of the lottery, yeah, this is what was expected. I'm, this was our second best case scenario, just staying where we were at. I'm I'm more than happy staying where we're at. So my counter to so, what you say would be like the number six pick has actually been very good for quite a few teams. Going back, most notably, Matthew Kachuk was a number six pick in no, 2016. I'm not, I mean, you I, can always yeah, I, you can always find that talent, but it's oh yeah, no, no, I I know what you mean at, about the top five, yeah. but we're we're also talking about like everybody's trying to project what seventeen and eighteen year olds will be. Uh, this this is great. This is such a deep draft. As long as we don't draft Dylan Strome for the second time, I love it. I think we're in a great spot. Yeah, I do too. I love this spot. I I love the I love where we're at on the Ottawa pick. My problem is where people don't know what they're talking about. Where they, they look at they listen to PHNX and they say, "Oh, it's a top five draft." No. It's deeper than that. I, I've been studying this draft for a while now, and there's a lot of players I like. So much so, I'm like, oh, I want this guy here at six. Oh, but I like this guy too, and I like him too, and I like him too. And, <laughs> I you mean, know the, that... the, the, 
That was <laughs> the ahead. emphasis of what Scott Wheeler brought up that, you know, he talked about, you know, David Reinbacher being the pick for the money, but he also talked about at 12, the Coyotes are still going to get a very, very, very good prospect and, who can play center. Regardless of the most important. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. We're, we're going to get, that's the thing that, that's the thing that I love about this draft is at 12, 12 is a spot where generally you're drafting a third line center. You're drafting a second line winger at best. There's guys that look like they're projectable second line centers and first line wingers still available at 12 this year. That's going to be a great pick. And it's why I don't mind the Reinbacher pick that everybody's been mocking us because we're going to get somebody there. And then you have the ability to trade up to try to get, if there's a specific player the Coyotes are eyeing, which again, listen to Scott Wheeler because he mentioned one. Um, Dalibor that, that always trade that was, up. That was Scott's. That was that was Scott saying, not to be a spoiler, you know, but why not? Why not? If you can get a guy like that at twelve, and in any other draft, he might be your sixth or seventh pick. Uh, why? How can how can any Coyotes fan be upset about picking at six and twelve in this year's draft? Well. My my thing with the top five is there's five clear-cut grade-A prospects, and that was something, again, Scott Wheeler brought up. If Logan Cooley was in this draft at his current stage, he'd be going sixth. Yep. Because that's yeah. just – and it's not, it's not because Cooley's a bad prospect. Scott Wheeler went out of his way to make sure that we knew it's not because Cooley's a bad prospect. He's a great prospect. It's just these five guys are that good. That's my issue with not picking top five is we're not getting one of those five just franchise type well, guys. And, and we don't know. I mean, there's there's a lot of speculation out there, especially if you follow like Montreal Twitter and that sort of thing. Um, Grant McKegg, he's a former scout in the NHL, uh, founder of recruits. Oh. He thinks Dalibor Dvorsky's a, a lock for the top five. I mean, David Reinbacher's been rumored to Montreal five there's so, there's a very good possibility that one of those top five lock players that everybody talks about whether it's bedard fantilly bedard and fantilly one and two probably locks when you're talking about three through five leo carlson will smith and matt Michkov, one of those guys could very well be available at six yeah something to add to that by the way is it not the most coyotes thing for us to be picking six when there's like a top five most amazing kids in the draft is then the most Arizona Coyotes thing you could ever have. Maybe Arizona sports in general. I mean, it's like, dang, it's, it is. Writers like, got to get more creative. No, the, mo- is, the most like Arizona thing would be 20- the most good. It's like 2015. We were picking third in a two clear cut top draft, but we took the wrong guy. It's as simple as that. It's not that, oh, well, we would have. Or uh, we only could get those two. No, if we had taken Mitch Marner, if we had taken um, uh, Zach Rowinski, if we had taken Miko Ratman, if we had taken several guys like that, we're we're golden going forward. It's just we had taken the wrong guy at the time. Let me let mm-hmm. me ask you this: You said that perfectly. You know, took the wrong guy. Is there? And is and this matter? I'm, I'm start with you. 
is there a wrong guy? Is is that six pick? And before, what are the odds of before you know, we get moving into this though? Before we get moving into this, I did want to ask because this is such a divisive subject. Okay, one of those top five guys, the most likely one to be available at six is um, Matt Fimishkov, and we know Matt's thoughts on this. So I want to hear Big Tortilla's thoughts. If Madfai Mishkov is available at six, do you take him? So hang on. My my thoughts on Mishkov were misguided because I was playing the four-year rule about NHL. Oh, no, no, no. I thought right. you had mentioned – my bad. I thought you had mentioned on pod that then it changed. I forgot that it wasn't so, on pod. So, yeah, it, it, it changes because there's an indefinite rights to Russian-drafted players. Um. My my issue with drafting Mitchkov at six before was that what happens if in three years he decides, well, I'm not going to go to your team. I'll go play for Russia for one more year and then be a UFA. That's incorrect information. Russian players, anybody drafted out of the Russian Federation, NHL teams own the rights to that player indefinitely, as Mike pointed out earlier on our, our podcast. At that point... You own the rights to Mitchkov. If he says, look, I'll play for any of these 10 teams, but I don't want to play for you guys, you still have a trade chip long-term that you can say, you know what? He doesn't want to play for us. He's got 10 other teams that he wants to play for. We're willing to move him to you guys, or we'll just hang on to his rights and call it a wasted pick. But we can still get something back for him. So at that point, at six, I'm I'm on board, totally on board. What are you about you, Tortilla? How are you, Philip Mitchkov? By some miracle, some miracle, Will Smith's there. I'm taking Will Smith, but he won't be there. So I would love Mitchkov. I'm just gonna say that right now. The Mitchkov I, I would broadcast. take him, but if he's not there, I got another guy I would love to take. <laughs> Who's that? Uh, Ryan Leonard. I'm. Mm. I'm I'm split What's on that. What's funny so, is that was my answer to Tyler's who would be the wrong guy to take at six. I would love him at 12. I would love him at 12. I would adore him at 12. I'm so, not a fan of taking him at six. So this he looks like he's going to be a one. About a lot. So much. <laughs> and that like him playing center and playing wing. And I think that's what Grandy's about to get into right now. Oh, he's a winger. Yeah, he's a winger, and he looks like he's going to be a, a damn good winger. Don't get me wrong, but when you have centers like Dalibor Dvorsky or Will Smith, or not Will Smith, Will Smith isn't going to be there, uh, uh, William Moore, or guys like that, I'd much Oliver rather Moore. know a guy like Oliver that. Moore. Oliver Moore, that's my bad. Oliver Moore. Um, I'd much rather go a guy like that. Who projects as a second line center or worst case scenario third line center, than a guy who's a first or second line winger, based on what we have, what we need going forward, stuff stuff along the lines like that, especially at that sixth overall, um, it, because I think the wings available at twelve, you're still going to be looking at a Matthew Wood, you're still going to be looking at a Colby Barlow, you're still going to be looking at there's going to be so many wings available still at 12. Even right, if so there's Brandy, not a let me ask you this. There. 
let me ask you this. Ryan Leonard or Gabe Perot? Who would you rather have if they're going to be a wing in the NHL? Ryan Leonard. It's very, very close, but Ryan Leonard. So knowing that? That, knowing that Gabe, well, hang on, knowing that Gabe Perot is probably going to be in the mid-teens, why would anybody take Ryan Leonard nine picks and earlier, why, let's say, and, at six? And that's why Ryan Leonard is my wrong pick at six. That's why Ryan Leonard is my wrong pick at six. There's so many wings I have so close to what he can do that they might me, be available at 12. Yeah, exactly. If I could real quick, uh, just because I'm not a big prospects guy like, like you guys are, so just help me understand, maybe those listening um the podcast, what about him has you feeling that way exactly? Was it his puck carrying? Is it something about his personality? What, what exactly has you feeling the way that you do feel about that person? As far as what? Like why um, does he his, like why is why he better in the mid teens like than yeah, that's it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because it's not that he's better in the mid-teens. He's going to be a top-ten pick. He's going to be a top-ten pick. I just think that the comparable wings are closer to what he can bring us than the centers or something like that that you'd get with a mid-teens pick. Um, another another a, way to look at it... He's a great player. I love him. Another way to look at it is that Oliver Moore and Will Smith are the two centers for the national team development program. Um they beat out Ryan Leonard for center. Um, either one of those guys could probably play on the wing too. I, I mean, any center could play wing, but you're looking at those two guys as being your one and two centers on that team. If Oliver Moore is beating out Leonard for playing center and Oliver Moore is projected to go in the like nine to 12 range, why Why are you looking at Leonard going, well, maybe he could move into that center spot in NHL? Well, no. Oliver Moore already beat him out in juniors. Uh, to me, if if the guy in juniors beats out the guy that got pushed to wing, that's the guy you take there. I, I wouldn't so much go as to say, yeah, we're going to take Leonard at six, despite the fact that he wasn't good enough down the middle to beat out you know, Oliver Moore. Well, thank you for answering my question. Appreciate that. I just I didn't really understand. I, mean, I understand, but I also was like, like, I said, I'm not a big prospect guy. So these, these things I'm like, I mean, I, I, you're saying a bunch of names and I'm like, but why him over him? I, it, <laughs> it's a fine line. I mean, if you go back to, what was it? The 2019 draft when there was Jack Hughes and Boldy and Caulfield and all of those U.S. teams or U.S. players coming out of the USHL. We're seeing that again this year. And we're going to see probably what, Grandy, you think four go in the top 12? Parole, Moore, Smith, and Le- yeah, so four. And that's if Parole goes. He's the guy that could slip a little bit further out of the top 12. Even going top 15. I mean, Caulfield went at 15 to Montreal. I, I can't imagine I Perot think- slipping much beyond that if he does slip. No. And again, it's not for me. This isn't anything against Ryan Leonard. I was texting Matt all during the U18s because I was falling in love with him. The way he plays, he's a play driving, forechecking, just strong on the puck type guy who has some finishing ability and some. He's a great player. It's nothing against who he is as a player. 
It's just him, him and Will Smith. Evaluations. For the record, him and Will Smith, for the record, both broke Austin Matthews' points record. No, um, uh, that's Gabriel, not a. Yeah, no, Pearl, Pearl, okay. and uh, Will Smith broke Austin Matthews' points record. Um, so even though Pearl might slip, um, you're still getting a guy who absolutely lit up the USHL. And I'm, I, I don't think he's somebody on the Coyotes' radar. But when we're talking about how good this U.S. development program was this year and the type of talent that they're bringing to this draft, any one of those four are going to be great. Outside of Will Smith at number six, I don't think any of them should go to Arizona. Um, I don't think Will Smith would fall to number six. But if he does, uh, right do now, you take him over Mitchkov? Oh, absolutely. Yes. Because, yes, because yes. you know you're going to get him in a year as opposed to three years. I've... You don't have to talk him into leaving Russia to come here. And the the player gap between Will Smith and Matvey Mitchkov has been closed. I think Mitchkov is still slightly the better prospect, but Will Smith is still a center. I think he's slightly a better prospect than Logan Cooley. He's he's a guy that you I mean everybody's like, "Oh, we're we're building around Logan Cooley and Clayton Keller." If you get Will Smith, you're now building around Will Smith. What about him compared to Keller? So if, if he's going to replace Keller on the team as this you know, build around, um, let's say we just get him for the sake of argument. What about him over Keller and Cooley do you like more that makes you want to build around him immediately rather than sticking with Cooley and Keller? Let's, before, before we move on to this, Big Tortilla hasn't gotten in his rebuttal. Oh, right. Sorry about that. Stuff, yeah, so let's, let's, let's let him get in. Sorry about that. Well, I mean, there's just stuff that I... I I see that, yeah, you can beat someone out in juniors. That's fine. But where you're projected to land, is a completely different thing. Uh, Ryan Leonard, he plays just like Matthew Kachuk. Would we not love to have Matthew Kachuk on this team? Yes, we would. You know, I know, you, Matt, you love all, uh, Oliver Moore, and I do too, but I have some issues with him. Uh, <laughs> For one, he, he doesn't fit Bill Armstrong. Uh, well, he's 5'11, where Ryan Leonard is six foot. So he's a bigger player. Yeah, but you're talking one inch. One inch. Yeah. Um, and, you're, were, and you're talking you know, a year after he went 5'10, Logan Cooley. Yeah, exactly. And we've got a small guy in, in Keller. So now you're adding three small guys. Yeah, but the flip side to that is, and Grandy brought this up, and I actually didn't realize this until he mentioned it. Logan Cooley was the first player under six foot that Bill Armstrong's taken in the draft. And he's also the only player, as far as I know, that Bill Armstrong has taken under six feet. So if Keller's the only other guy, and you're talking about three guys in your pipeline that are Bill Armstrong products under six feet, I think you can go with a 5'11 all over more. Compared to a more physical Ryan Leonard, and a, a guy who who has an incredible shot. I'm not saying all over more doesn't. He has a great shot. I mean, there's a lot to love about his game. Don't get me wrong. I mean, if he was on the, on the six-foot uh, scale, I would 
so let me ask you this, Tortilla. Do you see Leonard as a center in the NHL or a winger? I do not see him. I see him as a a complete winger. So do you see him as the best winger outside of Michkov in the draft? Hmm. Because if, if if he's not the best winger outside of Mitchkov in the draft, how do you take him at six? Then yeah, I would say he is because I don't because I love how his physical play. He's a sniper. He's great on his feet. He's on his edges. Uh, he makes great passes. Uh, his hockey IQ is off the chart. He's just a great player. Oliver Moore so still has he- some. Uh, Let me ask you this far, then on a on a winger to winger combo on a winger winger comparison. Okay. Matthew Wood does all of that too. Maybe not as he's not as good of a skater. See, and, and that's who I was going to bring up. Well. That's who I was okay. going to bring up. And you'll get him at twelve. Matthew Wood has a a higher ceiling, but he's still not there. He's got to get stronger, especially on his lower body. Uh, he. He gets um, uh, he gets a little antsy when when, but that could be his age uh, when he has the puck. Uh, he gets a little antsy when he gets pressured. Uh, he uh, he definitely has a shot. I mean, I think his problem is if he just he he needs a strength coach and he needs a skating coach. His skating is is very poor. He's not good on his edges. Um, he he. He's pretty slow. Um, I saw one play where uh, he was knocked off the puck and he could not catch up. I mean, he and he was the only person who who would have been able to to make the the stop if he could. But uh, he he needs a lot more work. He's going to be uh, a lot longer either in college or in Tucson if we would take him. All right, so I, I, I love. I got to ask if then. Do you see Leonard being better than the best center, who's probably Dvorsky being available at six? Would you? Do you think his ability at wing, Ryan Leonard, exceeds that of Dvorsky, who really showed at U18 that he can stick down the middle? Do you think you'd still take Leonard over Dvorsky? Assuming, assuming they don't go Reinbacher. Studied. Uh, Dvorsky all that much, so um, I'll have to take your word on on his uh, where he is. So yeah, so he I know he's what uh, third for central scouting in in uh, European skaters, I believe. Yeah, he's he's pretty high up there. His his U eighteen tournament really vaulted him up. I think I mentioned Grant McCag of recruits has him. As a lock for the top five, I I don't really agree with that because I don't think he's broken quite into that class. Um, but his his knock early in the year um, when he and granted he had a great uh, Gretzky Holinka Cup. He actually outproduced Slavkovsky, um for the Slovakian team. His knock was that he might not be able to play center in the NHL. And I think he kind of shut up doubters this year. So if you're drafting him as a center, um, you know, that that's, that's the big question with him. 
his skating was always kind of the is it is it not i think he's an average skater i don't think he's dylan strom we're not drafting another dylan strom who can score but can't skate can't stick down the middle um would you do you think ryan leonard's pure skill is enough to vault him over a guy who absolutely is the only, probably the only reason the Slovakian team was playing in a medal game at the U18. Again, without seeing him personally, uh, I really, I'm at a disadvantage. Uh, so I, I will say, I guess that, outside I, of Will Smith, do you think Ryan Leonard is the reason that the U.S. is playing in that game, in the gold medal game? Uh, yeah, probably. Yeah, I, w- I would say he carried that team pretty well. Uh, I just like the player. I mean, I I look at all these players, you know, and, and it was kind of weird because I didn't know where we were gonna where we were gonna land. So I was looking at all these players, and like I said before, you know, I look at certain players. I oh, I like him. I like him. I like him. And then I go, well, he has this problem. He has this problem. And then I they changed up and down my draft board. And but now that I know I'm, I'm picking six, you know, and none of my picks are rock solid yet. I haven't like, but right now, I would lean towards Ryan Leonard. Um, All right, so let's let's pose the question this way: It's who wants to be a millionaire? You know, Bedard and Fintilli went one and two. Carlson, Mitchkov, and Will Smith went three, four, and five. Who are you going at six? Final answer. Oh damn it. <laughs> I I know I know there's so yeah. much talent right there, but if, yeah, if you're problem. making the pick, if you're making the pick, who's your guy? Yeah, I I gotta go with with what I look at and what I what I've seen. I gotta go with Ryan Leonard. Grandy, remember I'm just the tortilla, uh. so I. Don't... <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's so tough. It is so insanely tough because. A large part of me wants to say Reinbacher, get that defenseman and get your forward with the next pick. But I think it's close enough between everyone here that now I'm this gonna is this is you as the GM, to, not the Arizona takes. Yeah, no, I know. I'm going to default to it's close enough to me in this tier that I'm going to default to how I usually go. How I've done it in redrafts we've done. I'm going to go to the center, so I'm going to go Dvorsky. Um, I'm going to go Dvorsky, but I can tell you this. If I see Ryan Leonard or Ryan Bucker start slipping into that 8-9 range. Trading up. I'm doing everything I can. I'm doing everything I can to trade up from 12 because that's the other possibility, too, that you have is – if the Flyers don't take, um, don't take him, I could see him. I could see Leonard fall. So, um, not far, not to twelve. He's not going to be there at twelve, but he could fall to a, c- a couple picks. In which case, you're right in that trade up territory. Um, but yeah, gun to my head right now. I'm going Dvorsky. And this could change by the time we even do our mock draft. Tyler? Well, listening to you guys, mull it over, kind of taking mental notes as much as I can. 
There's a gun to my head. Regis Philbin's holding a gun to my head on who wants to be a millionaire in front of everybody. Granny, I'm about to lock in with you on that divorce one. I think I'm going to roll with you, and if we both get shot, then nice knowing you, pal. That was it. Regis Philbin did me in. So I guess I'm the only one going defenseman here. I'm going Reinbacher. And I know I, I got to explain this one because everybody that's listened to this show has heard me do nothing but preach how much I love. Real quick, not right. just that, but based on our last two weeks of conversation, I'm stunned. So I am dying to hear this, this explanation. I love Axel Sandin Pelica. Absolutely love him. Name is cool. His his skating ability blows my mind. Like some of the some of the things that he does, they remind me of like Kel McCarr and Eric Carlson. How do you spell that name, side. by the way? How do you spell that? Sandin Pelica. Yeah, exactly like how it sounds. Sand sand in with a hyphen in there. With a hyphen, yeah. There's a hyphen in there between sand and Sandin hyphen Pelica. P-E-L-L-I-K-A. Um, oh, I got it. So I, I'm putting myself in Armstrong's shoes. I'm wanting the bigger defenseman. I'm wanting the two-way type defenseman. I, I love Sandin Pelica. It to me, he is he's Roman Yossi. He's that guy. He's going to drive play. He's excellent at zone exits, zone entries. He's all of those things, but Reinbacher is Victor Hedman. He's going to do both. He's not quite as good as Yossi at driving play, but he is way better defensively. Um, to me, like if I'm personally the GM, I'm hoping to find a way to get Sandin Pelica at 12. If not, I'm looking to trade to 10 maybe. Get him there, take somebody else at six, Dvorsky, Oliver Moore, whatever. But if I'm Bill Armstrong, I'm taking Reinbacher at six. Only because there's so much talent at forward at 12. I love Oliver Moore more than anybody on this podcast. His skating ability. More than, wait, more than any draft expert as well. I will say, yeah, his, his skating ability is phenomenal. Damn, the top ropes, and and to me, if you can't skate in the NHL, I don't care what other skills you have. They are all hampered by your inability to start and stop, your ability to play on your edges, um, your ability to accelerate your top speed, skating. Like you, you could be the best. You could be the best shooter in the world. You could be Jeff Skinner or Mike Hoffman, but if you can't skate, it doesn't matter. Those those abilities are amplified by your ability to skate, and Oliver Moore has that better than probably any forward in this draft. He might be the best skating forward in this class. He still has a very good shot. He doesn't have the creativeness of a Bedard or a Fantilli or a Michkov. That might not be there. And I'm not saying he's Michael Grabner. He's not a straight line guy that just blows you away that, you know, isn't creative at all. He's somewhere in the Matthew Barzell range. 
maybe not quite as crafty with his hands. But Oliver Moore, to me, is if you can get him at 12 and Reinbacher at 6, you've taken probably two of the highest ceiling players at their position outside of the top five. Reinbacher, no-brainer being the highest ceiling defenseman. Oliver Moore, he is, to me, Logan Cooley. He has the highest ceiling. He might not be Slavkovsky, who has the highest floor, who is the most mature, most NHL-ready player, but he's got the highest ceiling because he's got the footwork and the ability to skate. He's got the mind. Everything else might come with him. To me, he's Dylan Larkin, 10 years like younger Larkin. or eight years younger. He's that guy. So to me, if I'm Armstrong, I'm taking Reinbacher at six because if you look at who that means would fall, Dvorsky, Leonard, um, uh, you, you've got multiple players that are, gonna, that are going to drop in those spots behind them. Um, where Oliver Moore might be there at 12. Whereas I think if you're taking Dvorsky, you're probably not getting Reinbacher. You're probably not getting Sandin Pelika. That means you're taking Simashev or Guliev or Willinder. They're good prospects if you're going to take a defenseman at 12, but it makes so much more sense to go Reinbacher at six, Oliver Moore at 12. That's... That's my picks. I will, I, those are the guys. I will involved. say, I will say, the defenseman thing is that's why Ryan Barker was my second pick to that. This is just, um, I just value centers. I just, you can't win without quality play down the middle. I, and and that's I do why too. I went to Borsky, but, but the Ryan Barker thing makes a lot of sense because the defenseman you're going to get at 12 is not worth the 12th overall pick. He's just not. You're uh, you unless can't trade down because they're gonna unless, unless it's Sandin Pelica or Reinbacher. If one of those two slip somehow, you're getting a good defense. But the the other thing I was thinking with the Reinbacher pick too, and that's why one of the reasons I was heavily debating that even though I value centers as highly as I do, is you could take Reinbacher and like Matt said with um someone's going to fall. There's a chance um, Scott Wheeler, again, laid out that the Coyotes could look to trade up into that late, that nine or eight, nine range. If Dvorsky's still there, he's heard their name. He's heard their name a ton with him. Um, And someone's going to be there, whether it's Ryan Leonard, whether it's Dvorsky, whether it's more, someone is going to be there at eight, nine, 10, or one of them could be there at 12. It's, But even if one of those three isn't there at 12, someone's going to be there at 12. Then. It's, this draft is just so good right in that zone. Yeah, it's, it's hard to mess this one up. I mean, unless you reach for a player based on size or based on pedigree from a couple years back or whatever I, unless you you absolutely take a flyer on somebody you shouldn't it it really is hard to mess this one up this is 2015 all over again 
Try not to da- draft Dylan Strom. Get your, I mean, outside of Strom and Zaka, were there anybody in the top 10 that you wouldn't take? And even then, I'd still take Zaka, but I don't know that I'd take him in the top 10. I mean, you're talking Provorov, Rantanen, Marner, McDavid, Eichel, I, that that whole class, like in the top 10. Hannafin is, Hannafin is the closest, and with him, it's really tough because... He's such a good defensive defenseman. That yeah, I mean, there there really wasn't another defenseman outside of well, and Provorov went top ten. There really wasn't another defenseman outside of that that you could be like, well, I would have taken this player well, over Provorov. Provorov and Rowenski both went top ten. Yeah, I but that but, that's just it. Outside of the top ten, can you look at another defenseman and be like, well, I would have. So to me, this feels like that, like unless you really reach for somebody that should have been outside of the top 10, uh, you only had one or two busts and I wouldn't even call them busts. Dylan Strom's still an NHLer. Zaka still an NHLer. So they're both very capable middle six centers. This, yeah. They're playing really good. That's, solid, strong that's what this draft is. You're getting, this isn't 2018 where, you know, you're drafting Philip Zadina at three or at six, I'm sorry, who was projected to go at three at six. And you're wondering why, you know, he's a grand rapid star and that's it. This is a draft where you should expect a top 10 pick lands you, uh, you know, a middle six player as their floor. Big Tortilla, you got to, who you been eyeing at the 12th pick now? <laughs> okay, before I say that, I think I need to clear something up about because I kind of trashed on Oliver more. But let me say this: where I love his, where I absolutely love his game. Okay, he is without a doubt the fastest skater, probably next to Connor Bedard in this draft. That kid can fly, orally. I mean, there ain't no one catching that fool, man. It's like he stole something from the mini market and he's gone. But the best part about his game is when he shoots on the fly, you ain't stopping him. That's in the net. But the best part I like, and I think it's underrated, is his backhand. If you watch him, he loves to cut through the middle from the from the side, and he puts that backhand in, and it's solid. It's solid gold. That kid can score. I, I, want, I don't mind... If he was a, a coyote, we'd love him. But there's no way he wouldn't help this team. It's just that <laughs> you know what I'm trying to say. I was like, like I, I didn't mean to trash him. Like, hey, we should totally stay away from this guy. He's a total bust. There is a guy in the strap that I, I say we totally stay away from. But it's not Oliver Moore. I, well, there's things about him I, I love. Um, his, his passing is totally underrated. His passing is – I've seen him make passes between two defensemen's legs, and they'd be able to get a, a quality shot off. I mean, that's 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 awesome. I mean, that, that that's strength right there on the pass, and so there's a lot to love about him. At 12, I don't know because, like, I like Brandon uh, Yeager, but uh, – I, I like Cody Barlow. My problem with Cody Barlow, though, is 
you better have a really good defense because he ain't playing defense. <laughs> All he is is a shot. I mean, he's a solid shot. He's, he's an accurate shot. And he's going to put up goals, but he ain't going to do anything else for you. All right, you know? so let me add to that question. You said you like Leonard at six. Are you taking two forwards, or are you looking to get a defenseman at 12 if you take a forward at six? I thought this would come up. (laughs) 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 Yes. Yes, I am. And here's my thinking. And I could put, I admit, I can totally be wrong and way off base, but I feel like if I, sometimes you have to go bold. And one thing I've noticed about, since I became a Coyotes fan, we've never had offensive threats all up and down the lineup. We have a chance to do that with this now. Only because, and I, I've said this before, I love what I see coming next year as far as defensive projects. Prospects. Projects. <laughs> Scott Wheeler mentioned quite a few, actually, in his interview. Um, I Yeah, ne- next year might be the time to get one. It It might be, but I... Going into a draft, planning on your making plans around who you're drafting next year is oh yeah no it, it's the worst way to go about because if you, it, what happens what happens let's just say if you go to forwards here and you go okay we have to go defenseman next year and then luck of all luck happens and the Coyotes move up to second overall. Are you going to pass on Cole Iserman to get uh, one of those defensemen? Can't do that. No. No, no, no not at all. So that's why I say that's why I'm perfectly happy grabbing a defenseman in this draft, even though I love all the forwards. And I really only like maybe four defensemen. And out of those four defensemen, there's only two I would even take in the top 12. All right, so let's flip this because we've all talked about who we really like. Who are you staying away from, Grandy? <laughs> oh, man. So and this is something where I'm completely basing this off of one person's specific rankings and then Scott Wheeler's mock draft this morning. Or not, was it this morning? It was this morning. Yeah, it came out this morning. The guy I'm completely staying away from that I'm just not sold on that scares me, that I think is the guy that's going to go in the top 10 that is a mistake is Nate Danielson. I think this is the other guy where I think you have a really good floor. I think he's going to be a third line center. I don't see what makes him worthy of a top 10 pick over some of these guys that yes over some of these guys that we're talking about i mean we've talked about all these guys and we haven't even mentioned my personal favorite player at six overall and zach benson because i wouldn't go him in the coyote shoes right now but there's so many guys available. How can you go that high floor, low ceiling, Nate Danielson? That's my guy who I'm just, I'm cautious of. I'm staying away from. 
So Tyler, I know you're not as big on the prospects as us, but is there anybody that you might have followed or that you've heard us talk about or anybody talk about that you're like, you know what, I just get a bad feeling about that guy? You know, I think my biggest worry is that we do get a Dylan Strom situation. You know, I, I, mean, I don't know. I, I don't know prospect much you guys do, obviously, but I just worry that we don't get the right guy. But it seems like, again, from what you guys have said, you know, throughout this podcast in the last couple of weeks, that this is pretty much uh, not a crapshoot in the bad way, but the anybody you get is going to be a great player. Um, I guess Michkov worries me because I'm afraid he just want to sit in Russia forever and then just be like, oh, actually, you know what? I'm good. We don't get some forearm or because some other team's like, oh, you probably want to play for us and we get screwed. That's got me worried. Uh, but other than that, from my understanding, I mean, I, I really do. Like I've always said, you know, I, I trust GMBA. I know he's he seems to be the best drafting GM we've had. So uh, I'm going to go ahead and just say, you know, I trust it. Send it. Tortilla, who do you hate? Not hate. Who do you dislike? Andrew Cristal. You got a reason I, for Cristal there? Uh, I was high on him early. Um, I was like looking at this kid. I was like, oh, I love this kid. But he started to regress towards the end. Uh, and there's just something, I don't know. Uh, something a bad about feeling him. about him, huh? Yeah, it just... Like I said, I was really high on him. I mean, I, I like to. I don't want to wish any of these players bad, but I mean, I I just don't see what he is, what the what they say he is. I just see him. I I think he's probably sixteen on up, but I don't like him. All right, so I'm gonna go. Against the grain here, I I actually have three players. None of them are at six because I think everybody we've talked about tonight, I don't necessarily know that I would actually say I hate them at six, even Ryan Leonard, even though he might not be my choice. At 12, there's a couple of guys, and I only say this based on some stuff that we've seen some pretty big names write about. Number one, um, Samuel uh, Hanzik. Corey Pronman wrote that some scouts see him closer to being a top 10 pick than a top 20 pick, which to me tells me, you know, that 10 to 15 range. He's a 6'4 center, big guy, plays big. He's Connor Geeky all over again. I don't have a problem with Connor Geeky at all, but I have a problem with taking the same player in two straight drafts. Um, I, I think he's there later if you really want to trade up, if you really feel like he's that guy. To me, he should go somewhere in the 20s. Um, I'd have a, a big issue there. Uh, second player, Edward Chale. He's had a great year. Uh, don't get me wrong. He's been good. He's a right winger, which, you know, there there's not a ton of guys that play right wing when you're talking about the top of the draft. They're mostly center, left wing, uh, or you get defensive prospects. Um, I, I'm just not a huge fan. Um, I think he's done well overseas, but I don't know. Some, something about his game just doesn't scream the guy. Um, and then Callum Ritchie, he's another guy who seems to fluctuate between being a a high teens pick and 
a mid twenties pick. Um, I don't necessarily have a problem with him, but I think at 12, he's too high, but he's somebody that fits the Armstrong mold that I'd be really worried if they took him because of his size and his type of game over some of the potential talent and the potential ceilings that you get in some of the prospects ahead of him. So to me, those are the three guys I worry about. Um, Simashev might be another one at 12. I At that point, you're telling me that either Reinbacher and Sandin Pelica are both gone and you took a, the maybe third best defenseman in the draft at 12 ahead of a forward, or you took Simashev ahead of Sandin Pelica, which to me would be a huge mistake. So outside of that, so, I don't think they can go wrong at six. There, there's so much talent have, there that you can't screw that pick up. But at 12, those are my guys. I have another pick at 12 that is probably going to shock some of you because of how high I was on him early. That I just, based on the talent available, I would not be thrilled taking. It wouldn't be devastating. It's why he wasn't my first name pick done, but I would not be thrilled to see the Coyotes take Colby Barlow. Um, after watching him again, after doing a lot of that, I see Mike Hoffman, which Mike Hoffman was a good NHL player, but he was a player who put up a ton of stats, and as a result, got overpaid everywhere he was, and didn't really affect the game outside of that because he didn't defend. He didn't do stuff like that. So again, I'm not saying I would not, I wouldn't, I'd be pissed if they went him, but it's just a name. I wouldn't be thrilled seeing them take on top of the names already mentioned. See, and that's interesting to me because I actually think more Jeff Skinner, who does a lot more than Mike Hoffman, Maybe not on the defensive end, but on the play driving side. I like Kobe Barlow a lot, but I do agree with you. I do think there's going to be more talent there at 12 than Barlow. And I might be disappointed. Yeah, this isn't, but he's not. It's not that I hate him. It's just that based on the talent there, if I was picking 15, 16, I think I'd be trying to write my G. So, so let me ask you this. Who do you like more, Gabe Perot or Colby Barlow? Gabe Perot. That's part of why I have him as a thing. That's fair. I can agree with that. I, I think, I think they're one, a one B. I don't think you're really making a poor decision there, but Gabe Perot could go anywhere from nine to maybe 25. He's kind of a wild card in that first round. So if you kind of value them as the same player and you're taking either of them at 12, you're probably going a little too high. Yeah. Um, and that's just it. That's the thing with Colby Barlow's going to go higher than I just have this feeling he'll go higher than Gabe Pearl. He's bigger, all of that. But I'd rather trade down and take if you're going to go Colby Barlow, I'd rather trade down. Yeah, you're risking losing Gabe Parole, but get the extra assets and do that. So, 
I agree. All right. So without pushing this too much farther, I think we're what about three and a half hours what? into our extravaganza. Good. I do have, I do have yeah. one. We've kind of covered it already, but I do want to just because it was a listener question. I do just want to get that out there. What are your guys' thoughts of trading back into the top ten? Hey Pat. So yeah, I, I'm kind of with Tyler on this. I'm okay with staying at 12 because to me, you have one and two being a tier of their own uh, with Bedard and Fantilli, three, four, and five with Leo Carlson, Matve Michkov, and Will Smith make up your second tier. I think five through nine is a tier of its own. Um, the Coyotes are, are going to get solid pick there. Unless you're unless you're moving from 12 to 8 or 9, I don't think you're really accomplishing much. And right now, I, I don't see Washington making a move out of their spot. I don't see Detroit trading out of their spot either. Um, you might be able to make a move with Vancouver or St. Louis, who both teams seem to think they're farther along than they are, that they just need a retool. Those teams might be willing to give something up, but I think you're staying within the same tier at that point. Um, to me, make your pick at 12, because I think what you're giving up doesn't necessarily mean you're getting that much better of a player unless somebody has slipped. I mean, we, we've all seen it in the past where on draft day, somebody that everybody thought was going to go top five ends up going at eight or nine. And if you have somebody on your draft board that high that has slipped, maybe you make that trade. But if the draft goes the way everybody's kind of projecting, expecting, I don't see it happening. I don't, I don't see there being enough value that you're going to give up a second round pick to move up two spots to get somebody that fits in that same tier. I am of the same. I'm of the same exact mind. There's three names I'm trading up for. It's and it's the three I've listed. It's Albert Dvorsky. It's Brian Leonard. It's um, David Reinbacher, and that's it. Sounds. Oh, you talk to you. Well, like I said earlier, uh, before we started this, I heard a rumor, and it's about one of my teams that I roasted in an earlier podcast, Vancouver is said to be putting on the table the 11th pick along with uh, Connor Garland. So if we could pick that up, pick up we'd have what, uh, what would we have? We would have 11 and 12. I would be perfectly fine with that. <laughs> but no, would, I'm not going to move up. Would you really give up the 6th pick to get Garland back? No, no, you can't. That's not what they're 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 in such cap hell that that is their sweetener is the eleventh pick to give up the eleventh. Oh, I I wouldn't believe that rumor. That that would be no. That's that, I've that heard is that a way higher price than anybody's paid in the last four or five years. But the connection be, dumb enough to do. Yeah, I mean, you're talking. <laughs> I mean, they if, if they're Larson's dumb enough though. to do it, I. I would I would swap them like the 12th for Garland and the 11th. I wouldn't even think twice about that. 
Um, yeah, and they took yeah, the I, I couldn't contracts. See that. I mean, I couldn't see that, that being a, a thing. What's that? What was that big that, that, I heard that. Well, I heard it secondhand. Uh, it was supposed to be from uh, Daily Faceoff. Yeah, I, I, I couldn't I see that. If that I mean, is true, <laughs> I, crazy I would, things have happened. To be fair, I'm I'm sure they're shopping Connor Garland. As of right now, I can't imagine that they'd have to pay a price to unload him. I still think he's got value as an NHLer. I think his cap hits what five million a year, something like that. That's not egregious. Um, even if he's a cap dump then, and they only got like a fourth round back for him just to get rid of his cap, somebody is going to use a player like him. He's not. He's not somebody that you have to pay a first round pick to get rid of, or even a second round pick to get rid of. No, he's that guy that you trade away for future considerations just to clear the cap. Um, and that that's based on last year alone, because I I do think he brings yeah. more value than that. Um, it, if it's it's something like if it's true, yeah, a hundred percent, I'm doing that. Not even questioning it, not thinking about it. Yeah. Even if it's just true, just to do the swap, swap twelve and eleven for Garland again, I'm not questioning it. I'm doing it. No, because you're you're at that point hoping that Garland has a great year and you can flip him again. It's no different than the Goss despair pick. So, all right, I I don't know if you got this deep into the draft tortilla. Is there somebody that you have in mind with a Coyote second round pick at 38? I do think it's important to bring up. I know it's a second round pick and everybody sees, well, first round picks are way more valuable and whatever. But we're talking about the 38th pick. We're talking about six spots after the first round ends. Is there somebody you like well, there? I asked Matt about it. Uh, he, he might remember. Because, uh, no, I haven't actually looked at it. I've been so stuck on these these couple of players that I've been looking at. You know, they're driving me nuts. <laughs> uh, yeah, I can't. You know, I can't call it like an alcoholic. So, yeah, I don't have anyone. At, I still got a lot of work to do. I mean, I'm not even close to being done. Oh, let's see. Grant, Grandy, is there somebody you like there? So, this is actually perfect because I am currently writing a draft profile for Inside the Rink on this player. I don't know if he'll be there. I think he'll wind up going higher on draft day. But this is kind of where mocks and rankings have him. Lucas Dragasevic. He's a phenomenal skater, a phenomenal passer, great in transition, and has some ability to run a power play. His defense is a major, major, major question. His best case scenario is he's Keith Yandel, but Keith Yandel was a hell of a player for years because as uh, as Mike brought up earlier, he was able to outscore his problems, and that's going to be what you'll need out of Dragasevic is he'll have to outscore his problems. But he has enough of the offensive game passing-wise and skating-wise that I think he's worth it at two, especially considering our real of, even if we went Reinbacher, we still don't have that future power play quarterback or a guy that projects to be that 
um, and Dragosevic would definitely fit that mold. I like it. Um, I and if you look at guys that have gone in the past, like Ryan Merkley, Ty Smith, they kind of go in that range where they've got that power play quarterback, offensive minded, not great defensively, but that that's kind of the range they go. They're your power play quarterback and they're going to put up points, but you might have to shelter them a little bit on the second line. I like that pick. For me, it's Oliver Bonk. Um, he's somebody who I do think is there solely on the fact that his, his emergence has come on as of late. It wasn't something where we looked last year and went, yeah, you know, he, he might be a first, second, you know, in that, that area. He wasn't even on london's team full-time last year and he's really flown up the board and i think players like that when they ascend a draft board rapidly um they get overvalued by fans by writers as somebody that uh, look at how good he's been and teams proceed with a a little bit of caution. So I've seen Bonk projected as high as like 24. To me, I, I do think he's going to go in the late 30s because the body of work may not be there uh, as a whole. But I do think he's somebody that you can take and go, we're swinging for the fences. He's that guy that I think does bring the defensive game he does currently quarterback London's power play, um, the London Knights. He's that guy that I think you might get the best value out of at 38. So to me, he's the guy. You know what I'm going to say about that is, you know how like London Knights sounds a lot better than London Golden Knights? That's all i got to say about that. It sounds a lot better in my opinion. <laughs> Sounds a lot better. Yeah, I think it has a good flow. It's a nice, easy London Knights. That London goes for Knights. you too, Henderson. The Henderson yes. Silver Knights. Henderson Knights. Henderson Knights. Henderson Squires. Henderson, Henderson Squires. The Jester State. The Henderson. That'd be cool too. The Henderson yeah. Friar Tux. There you go. Hey, just real quick on my notes. What do, what do you guys think about uh, defenseman Andrew Gibson? Yes, I I know nothing about him, so I I'm just asking. So yes, he's I been... honestly no, not I haven't heard anything. I haven't gotten to him at all, so I don't know anything. Yeah. So so he's been brought up in a few circles, but um, I'm I'm kind of with with Grandy and and Tyler on this. I don't know a ton about him. Um, I've watched like a slight amount of tape i guess uh but nothing that screams like yeah he's the guy he's a guy that i want to go after um uh, he's he's a sioux greyhounds player for anybody that that's unfamiliar with him um he's as hot i i want to say he's he ranks anywhere from like 30 to 50 so he does fall in the coyotes second round pick range um, but I, I, I don't know that much more about him. Um, not a huge point getter from what I remember. Um, 
kind of one of those safer, you know, bottom the lineup type guys that might have a decent floor, but he's nobody that you're taking a swing at, I guess, uh, in the sense of Oliver Bonk or like Grandy brought up with Dragasevich, who might have a, a super high ceiling. Looking quickly through my notes. His name popped yeah. up at me. Can I beat on that one? Don't, don't take that. Don't know much. So, I mean, for, for anybody curious, um, uh, he's he's a 6'3", 200-pound right-shot defenseman. Uh, any any right-shot defenseman who's got size typically flies up the board. Uh, last year for Sue, 21 points in 45 games. So, again, not not a great scorer. Um, and that might hamper him a little bit. So we'll see. I, to me, he he sounds like Maverick Lamoureux, but maybe not quite the same upside. Well, for the... Because I just remembered that Grandy has to work at 5 in the morning at the time of this recording. Uh, should we start with the question of the week so this man can get some sleep before he has to trudge away? Or I think you about covered everything, I think, as far as I'm aware, I, I see on the docket. I appreciate it. <laughs> I just I realized what time it was because I had to work in the morning too, but I was like, oh, shoot, it's 11 here, which means it's like, I'm not good at math, but it's pretty late over there. So one thirty. There it is. I'm good at math. Oh, man. So to, let's to go be ahead. Fair, to be fair, I called and woke Grandy up. Just before Mike came on, you oh, really? to be fair, you didn't wake me up. I had just woken up. <laughs> Potato, uh, I'm, gonna it, I'm gonna give it uh, it's even one and one, they both get points. However, my question of the week, boys, are you ready? Let's You're do it. Ready. All right, tortilla, yes. because I think you'll probably have the funniest answer. You're gonna have to go last on this one, but normally I would just do it, whatever. So I had a presentation today. I asked this question as a hit, so I thought I'm going to bring it to the podcast. The question of the week is, and I'm going to add the hockey spin to it, but what is the fiercest animal you could take in a fight? And then, if you want to fight a bigger animal, you must bring a current Coyotes player, uh, this roster from this year, with you. What animal is it? Be realistic. You're hand-to-hand combat here, so remember that. So... This is what animal do you want to fight, or what would be the fiercest? What, what was the fiercest you could realistically mono e mono hand to hand hand to claw fight? Realistically speaking, obviously. All right, so it it's going to be a grizzly because what's what's more fearsome than that? You think you can take a but grizzly? You, you can take a grizzly. No, I, I didn't say I could take one. You said what is the well, most fearsome? No, that's no, no. What could you win in a fight? Like, could you oh, take in, you a could beat in a like, fight? In a fight? Yeah. Oh, I, that's what I, I'm with you. <laughs> like, I'll fight anything, but I'll lose. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I, I. Okay, I heard the question wrong. I thought you said what was the most fierce animal. Um, yeah. what's the the most fierce can... animal? I think I could beat. And then you can also, if you want to take on something a little stronger, I'll let you bring a Coyotes player with you just to tie into the podcast as well. Am I am I allowed to bring a weapon? Nope. Hand to hand. Mono e mono. How the clothes you got on your in your body? Shoes, shirt, Tony's. The straight team got team got Yep. Straight <laughs> up knuckle bare knuckle boxing. It's you're in the hockey rink fighting them. 
All right. So, so before my answer, I have to ask, have any of you guys watched Top Gear? Yes. All right. No. So in uh, one of the specials, Jeremy Clarkson yeah. says that a honey badger yes. is the most fearsome animal because it doesn't kill you to eat you. It tears off your testicles. I remember so, that. I knew exactly you were going to refer to when you said that. I was like, <laughs> you said Top Gear. I'm like, I know exactly where he's going with this. So, yeah. so I would go with a honey badger if its sole purpose was to tear off my testicles because I think I could beat a honey badger. Okay. I, also oh, think, I don't know. I also could. think I could beat that golden gopher Chad. So. <laughs> Despite the mascot, I, I'd pay to see it. I'd pay. Grandy, what you I, got? I don't know if you could take a honey badger. I think you are severely under this motherfucker claps lions. Well, what if you brought a coyotes player with you to fight the honey badger? Who would you bring? Well, it's Liam O'Brien. Oh, of course, there, yeah. There's no, yeah, it's Liam O'Brien. Yeah, it's Liam O'Brien. You're bringing Liam yeah, for sure. That was my answer, too. Yeah, you. yeah, 100%. Liam O'Brien. The the Brandy. only the only other one even in contention might be Curtis Douglas because he's like six foot nine. Jesus. Play basketball. He's six foot nine, but does he play like it? I don't care if he plays like it. If the dude can throw a punch at six foot nine, he'll or fuck kick. up a honey badger. Yeah, that's, a, that's a lot of like momentum gained as the foot comes down on the honey badger. So really, as long as going Again, for your testicles, he kind of kicks near that area. The honey might be okay. badger routinely Fight snakes. fights and wins against lions. I think you're losing. <laughs> but what about you? What's your pick? Look, I'm gonna be honest. I'm gonna be honest. Hedgehog. Grasshopper. No. I can take on a rooster. I can take on a barn cat. That's probably about it. Barn cats They're are tough though. To be fair, barn cats are pretty vicious. I mean so are roosters. Yeah, roosters are pretty mean. Yeah, I've had to. Yeah, FFA, I had to. All right, so this is going to sound weird. Have any of you ever been like bit or pecked by an ostrich? No, but I've seen video, funny videos on Instagram. Those motherfuckers are mean. Yeah, they are. I'd rather fight a honey badger. I think I could probably take a bobcat. I think like a young bobcat, like a young one, like a maybe like you know able to function, but you know the mama's away. Like when it's still blind. I'm a little stronger than that. You know, I think I can take it when its eyes are open, but when it can only see like two feet. Then maybe I can take it. Maybe it looks like an old bobcat. Maybe, maybe ostrich. No, Casseroy. No, those things look fucking. Right. Yeah, I think that or maybe a hedgehog. Make the, make the Australian make the Australian mistake and go up against an emu. Yeah, they lost that or war. A kangaroo. Yeah. Have you guys seen those videos uh, of people oh, yeah. fighting kangaroos? Yeah, that shit's crazy. Yeah, no, I'm good. I won't fight a kangaroo. I'm good. Thank you. You know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna change my answer. I'm gonna change my answer. I'm gonna go with an alligator because they can't fight hand to hand. They take your hand off though. I'm not gonna put it in its mouth. I'm not dumb. They can break your back with his tail. I'm just like gonna like, step on it. Okay, but I watch people like jump on their back and hold their jaw and it's over. Like I'm the Mario Bros. Just fucking put your boot on them and just Yeah. Yeah, you know what? An alligator like Donkey seems, Kong would do. Just... An alligator seems so much more epic than a honey badger. So I'm gonna. So you're just alligator. gonna you're gonna Donkey Kong jump on it. I'm gonna alligator. jump on its back. I'm gonna grab its mouth and I'm gonna electrical tape it, and we're done. Okay. I also think you are significantly 
overvalue yourself because look, rednecks do it all the kid. time. If rednecks can do it, I'm sure I can. I so believe clearly, in you. Rednecks do it all the time. What is the rate of success? What's the rate the of failure? How often do you see people in the news like Clint whatever got dismembered by an alligator because he got drunk and thought he could wrestle it? You don't we see that. Don't live see in a lot of gator being eaten because though. we don't do live in Florida. Last but, week. But Florida news is everywhere. What's that, Tortilla? Last, last week it happened. There's a video of a guy who jumped on an alligator's back and he like you said, he grabbed his jaw and it was over, but he didn't see the alligator next to him and went to move and he jumped yeah, up the I alligator. I was fighting one alligator. I didn't say two. But he, what, he, is, he, what are you going to do when... He jumped off and the, all, the alligator he had jumped on turned around and took his hand off. It was fucking awesome. <laughs> <laughs> That's your 11th one, Wednesday dance. What are you going to do? What are you going to do when they, they use the tail as a weapon? What are you going to do? That's what I said. It can shatter your back. If I'm on the alligator's back, how's it going to hit me with its tail? Well, they can like lean, I don't know, like a scorpion what? strike or something. I don't know, dude. I'm not Steve Irwin. I don't their, know. their tails go side to side. They rarely ever go up and down. It but if it death rolls, it will try to shake you. I, I want to see it. First, I, I, would like, I would like to see a 100-pound alligator death roll my 300-pound ass. I'd pay to see it. Oh, so you're taking on a young alligator because those things don't weigh 100 pounds. I, I got Google. We're going to find out how much an okay. alligator weighs right now. Let's see. Actually, let me see. Alligator. What weight class would they be? All right. So 500 pounds for a male adult. Pounds, so maybe Grandy's right on this one. You can fight a female uh, one with 200 pounds. Yeah. So, so I will fight a female alligator. <laughs> With a bow on her head and everything. What are you, Tortilla? What are you fighting? My ex. Huh? My ex. I thought that's what you said. I was like, I'm, a, I'm a tripping. I can't tell if I. That's what he said. Okay. She's a beast. Yeah, she, she, she got like a mouth like an alligator. Gonna take your hand off or what? Uh, she got hands. You think she got hands? Oh. Yeah, <laughs> she she's fighting dirty. She's got oh a razor. <laughs> oh, and I'm Jesus. not joking. Uh, <laughs> I see the cut of gas. Your department's gonna love this episode. <laughs> oh boy. Oh, what am I fighting? All right, all right. Uh, what am I fighting that I could take a sloth? That's a, a fierce animal. Hey. They move so slow, it's scary. <laughs> it's supposedly that they've killed people. Like they get people pretty decently, from what I remember seeing somewhere. I don't know where I saw that, but I think they had their claws well, said, are actually pretty dang sharp. So yeah, you so said what? Like, they what get I like can... people while they're asleep because how fast? Well, I think you... like when you hold them, I think they move just quick enough to get you. That's what I remember just seeing it somewhere, like a National Geographic thing or something. I don't remember. You know, but... I, I guess from a hockey standpoint, I would fight a shark because they can't seem to beat anybody. <laughs> what about a coyote? Ooh. Not very fierce Ooh, though. Uh, because because somehow I'll think I'm winning that fight, and at the last second they'll get me three times Clap. and tie it up. There it is. <laughs> there it is. There it is. All right. Well, thank who you, boys, for answering my question. That was a good one. Who would the player be? 
I would think. Yeah, you're being, yeah. I know he's not a he's a he's a roadrunner. Poco okay. Bahama. Ooh. Right. You're bringing ooh. him to fight your wife or your ex wife. All right. Why not? Boko, Boko or Liam O'Brien? I think those are both solid choices. Uh, I think I'd go I think with... Boko is, I think Boko might be better. Yeah, that might be a better uh, pick. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I know Irishman can fight, but man, I, I don't know. I, I think, yeah, I think Boko might have just be a little bit edge that one out, just a pinch. So, so is it, does it have to be limited to current players? I'll tell you what, I will... I'll open it up and say any coyote, as long as they've worn the sweater for an actual game, they count. Had to worn the sweater and played an actual NHL game for the coyotes, so no Pavel Datsuk as much as that's so, cool. So is it just coyotes or roadrunners or uh, yeah, coyotes roadrunners are fine. If they're a part of the prospect system, they're in or around that. Uh, but played a game for the roadrunners or coyotes. So at least once. <laughs> Paul Bissonnette comes to mind. That counts, yeah. I'm going to go George LaRock. Oh, okay. Okay. I bet he's got hands. That dude's got more hands than anybody. Or John Scott. I mean, how do you not go John Scott? I just push him into the Gators' mouth. Brad May. Brad May's a good one. Brad May's a good one. I'm going John Scott. I'm changing my answer to something that could destroy both of us. I'm kicking him in the. Never mind. I can't go there. No, come on, come on, on. You started. You gotta fight it. You gotta finish it. No, nope. you gotta finish it. You... No, nope. no, I'm not. I'm just not a Skinton Scott fan. It's already in motion. Yeah, sorry, you Grandy. You started motion. it. You gotta. It's already finish in motion. It. You have to finish your checks around nope. here. We're good. We're good. I'm gonna assume you meant to say Megalodon. You're gonna kick him in the Megalodon's mouth and swim away. Yeah, pretty much. I'm already, so now, so now, just, not only are we going with like made up, not made up coyotes, but like past coyotes, <laughs> but we're going with made up animals. Um, they had a movie about it. you can't just tell animal. a movie. Yeah, megalodons are yeah, real. It's in a movie called Splice, animal. where this genetically engineered thing like changes sexes and kills people. It doesn't make it real. It's, uh, it's yeah. an extinct animal. Just, you can't but just make real. a movie okay, about things that fine. aren't real. Fine. Me and Brad May are going to go fight a T Rex. Those aren't real. <laughs> There's a ride at Universal Studios. Why would you? That's not even a real thing. That makes no sense. Uh, anyways. Indominus. Let's Rex. Off real Fine, there it is. Now we're talking. Now this man yeah. gets it. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you all for listening to our draft lottery extravaganza thank you to all the guests that made their time thank you tortilla thank you mike thank you scott wheeler uh, and haynes when uh, you had to leave a little earlier which yeah it's fine but all of us here i think we're all done here anything you want to add before we close out sorry for having to edit a four-hour show tyler um oh yeah i this this was this was one of the good do i have to dance Yes. Yeah, you have to dance. Fuck. Well, let me ask the PR department. And look, once, oh, yeah. W- yeah, once you do the dance, you need to send it to us, and mm-hmm. the show is going to share the video. We sure are. Yep. We got approval. Yep. PR says it'd be great for us to make up for the uh, <laughs> the offensive content. Just go show it to the Blackhawks. The Black They'll fall in love. I will block them myself. I got you. 
You know, one, one of the funniest things that I ever saw or that I've seen since the lottery in terms of memes, and there's been a ton of them, but one of them was like Connor Bedard, and then it's like probably at the bottom. And it was, I really hope the team doc is more of a hands-off kind of guy. Oh. <laughs> oh. Oh, boy. So, oh. Yeah, not to make light department. of... Not to make light of what happened, but man, I'm going to, I'm going to be upset about that one for quite some Mm -hmm. time. And it's like everybody talked about, I don't even care that the Coyotes didn't win it, but it shouldn't have been Chicago. It shouldn't have been Chicago. Absolutely. Just going, going back from this, I was fully prepared to follow Connor Bedard's career and not necessarily root for him, but I was, I liked him. I thought he was I thought he was gonna be fun to watch and for through no fault of his own, I can't stand him before he even gets in the league. I just like that he's gonna make them mediocre forever. Yeah, that quite just, honestly was my joy to be honest with you. He's ruining his career. Well, he didn't ruin it, but the NHL ruined his career inadvertently trying to make money, so oh well. But you know, quite yeah. honestly, I hope he's closer to Nail Yakupov than Connor McDavid. Oof. Just because it's Chicago. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, so that our final take, boys. Are we ready to wrap this thing up and uh, send this good people home? Yep. Yeah, yep. I'm get the rat. Okay. Well, from all of us here at the Chirpin' Yotes, thank you so much for listening. Thank you again to our guests. We will see you next week for a normal podcast. Have a good one. <laughs>